before we get into it, I have something a little bit different for you guys today from one of our own in the Football Index community. Rising Star Football Edition, the board game of dreams, where you have the chance to play out a footballer's career of your own. With career points, earn money and game fame, all in the hope of defeating your rivals by having the greatest career and being crowned Rising Star Champion. This comes from one of our own in the community who has used some of their FI profits to invest in their dream of creating a board game business. Their debut title, Rising Star Football Edition, is being released on Kickstarter very soon, so be sure to go to risingstarfootballedition.com to subscribe for early access to the Kickstarter, where you will be able to purchase the board game itself and special limited edition rewards which are only available to backers of the project. Be sure to give them a follow on all their socials and spread the word. It's great to see these types of projects being made possible by trading successfully on Football Index, so it'd be great if we as a community can get behind this and support it. These types of success stories make Football Index and the community what it is. Hello and welcome back to the Football Index Podcast, episode 153. I hope everyone's had a good week. It's been a crazy week in Football Index world. One that has felt like basically a year, you know. I've put out so much content, myself and with Panda. We had the Fitcast Extra, the Fitcast Extra Extra uh, videos and and so on and so forth. And um, today, to cap it all off, I've got a really great guest, uh, Seb Wessel. How are you doing, mate? I'm all right, thank you. How are you? Not too bad, not too bad. Um, you've got a really interesting background. I- I've been looking forward to having you on. You've been booked in for kind of several weeks now. Work for Football Manager. Um, you're a Leeds fan um, and you're a big, big Football Index uh, advocate and-, and fan as well. So why don't you tell the listeners a bit more about yourself and then a bit more about your Football Index journey as well? Yeah, sure. So I work for Football Manager. I do, I guess, two jobs for Football Manager, a day job and then uh, a night job, if you like. My day job is feature designer, um, which pretty much does what it says on the tin. I'm, I'd say, responsible for designing features, but as anyone who knows, you know, design is a collaborative process. There are literally hundreds of people involved. I guess my job is maybe to just be responsible for large parts of it. Um, You know, sometimes 10% of it, I get to have fun ideas, but 90% is writing very large documents that describe how we're going to do stuff and then leaving more talented people than me to to come work it out and make it better. Um, and then my uh, my other job for FM is the Leeds United research, which means we have, I think it's about a thousand people around the globe at different levels of seniority, different levels of involvement in football who do the research for our game. So that means when you look at Leeds in FM, uh, Patrick Bamford's 13 finishing is me. That's, you know, I judged, <laughs> I judged him to have 13 out of 20. Of course, there are other people involved in that. You know, if, I, if I gave Pat uh, 20 out of 20, my head researcher... Uh, might come along and say we can't be having that but I get to <laughs> I get to make the suggestion up front if you like and that basically involves obviously I'm a Leeds fan um, you can tell because of the Yorkshire accent um, um, I'm a Leeds fan have been since I was like 10 or do, 11. Do they trust you then to be completely objective? I guess like maybe but obviously there's a few there's a there's a few people involved to make sure that we do it objectively you know at the very end of that list it's qa right you know everyone and the community as well people people see our data and they have very passionate opinions on football and they'll tell us when we're right or wrong but i guess i guess there's kind of a bit of responsibility to try and separate myself like the leads fan from the lead researcher so i'll tend to I'll tend to watch Leeds games twice if I can. Obviously, before all the lockdown and everything, I'd go to Ellen Road 
obviously Elm Road every week and then away when I can. And that would be kind of watching it as the Leeds fan, you know, not necessarily paying attention to what people are doing, just being delighted when we do well. Then I'll try and watch things back and obviously look at all the stats. I'm a big fan of looking at the stats and trying to derive a lot from that. And that's maybe when I put my researcher hat on. So if I if I think, I don't know, Pablo Hernandez, who's probably one of my favourite Leeds players at the moment, had an amazing, amazing game. But then I go back and watch it later. And actually, all he did was do one standout thing, which looks good on match of the day, sure. And, you know, this relates to football index, right? You know, you see a player score an amazing goal on match of the day, but is that repeatable? Is it something they're going to do again? Were they actually involved in the game overall? And that's why I try and draw my opinions for the research from. Um, and I guess there's a bit of a responsibility as well, because everyone knows I'm a Leeds fan. So if I make everyone great, they know how to come at me, right? So if anything, I probably underrate some of our players sometimes. Mm, mm. Because you, you get into that kind of mindset where you're like, well, I have to be objective. So mainly, maybe you tone down your thoughts a bit more than you should. But it's it's, it's oh, really sure. interesting job. I mean, am I right in thinking you're quite new to Twitter as well? Or am I imagining that? Um, I lurked for a little while. Um, <laughs> probably a bit like football in itself when we get into that. Um, I looked around for a little while, had a look what was going on, followed people who interested me. And then, yeah, I think it was... I think it might have been last year, I think, or a bit earlier when we released the game. Um, I just wanted to, you know, share some things about the game, talk to talk to members of the community about it. And so I made my profile a bit more public and obviously went for the, you know, oh, I'm Seb, I work at, uh, I work at SI and I do leads research. And yeah, it's just, a, it's a nice way of interacting with people. Of course, you know, it's all, as everyone always says, you know, it's all, it's all my personal opinions. It's not SI's opinion. Um, and it's not really targeted at anything in specific. You know, it's, it's for me. If you wanna, if you wanna talk about football index, go follow football index. Follow yourself, Fig. You know, follow the people who have FI in their name. Likewise with Leeds. Um, you know, I'll just talk about stuff that interests me. Sometimes that's Leeds. Sometimes that's football index. Awesome, awesome. Well, um, yeah, we've got loads of awesome questions as well from the community. And as I was saying before, we jumped on. I think you're you've almost equaled Dumbwell in being the most prepared guest that I've seen. So um, people that are coming onto the podcast in the next few weeks, you know, up your prep game because these boys are, uh, <laughs> they're flying. Like, there's more text written by you here than there is by me in this document, which is... We'll, uh, we'll see how useful it ends up being. <laughs> great to see. Uh, before we do get into it, I need to let you know that the Patreon is still up and running. It's still out there. And if you don't know what a Patreon is, it's where content creators create premium bonus and behind the scenes content for their audience. In my case, I'm trying to help traders profit more and become better traders on Football Index by adding as much in the insight as I can. There's £3, £5, £8 and £12 tiers, all with VAT not included, as people like to remind me, uh, all with different great perks. So go check that out uh, for the best Football Index content around. £3 tier gets you early podcast access um, on the Sunday show and a bit extra, about five minutes extra on the show. £5 uh, tier gets you a monthly blog and a monthly private podcast by me. £8 tier grants you access to the Discord. And the £12 tier, that's the big one monthly webinars with uh, some of the, the best kind of minds uh, on the platform and from me as well um, and Seb you're you're part of it which is awesome I am yeah and the uh, the 12 pound uh, tier gives you the right to insult you am I right yeah yeah I think that's kind of written in small print somewhere yeah that's how it works uh, <laughs> we, we, we we try and keep you grounded um, your mogul activities but yeah I think we were discussing actually before I came on the Patreon something I hopefully becomes clear as we as we talk a bit more this afternoon more information is always a good thing and at the very very least opinions from smart people people who are clearly willing to you know pay for a service that gives them knowledgeable insight those opinions are always useful even if it's just the patreon i think i spend probably more time on the patreon than i do in twitter 
because it's a more focused chat right around certain things and you can you can maybe you know you maybe you can talk about things you wouldn't want to talk about on twitter as well right because none of us want to pump or depump a player but if i want to ask an opinion on a player without any you know without any intentions attached it's quite a good place to do it mm. and then obviously there's all the webinars and whatnot which i think again maybe we'll get into this i'd probably put myself in like the mid-tier of football index user i think i'm more knowledgeable and hopefully a little bit better at it than say a beginner but i wouldn't say i'm on the level of panda and so it's a really good place to <laughs> with those people and learn from them you know oh don't 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 boost his ego anymore he's i don't know if he's a top tip football <laughs> index trader who knows uh well if you guys are interested in that head over to patreon.com forward slash fi guide that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash fi guide for more information and join a growing community at the fig patreon also want to let you know about my other podcast the state of play uh, go check that out that's about the top five leagues in european football with a bit of sprinkling of the mls there so that's at state of play pod on twitter and then last thing i need to ask you guys a favor please go out and fill my survey out uh, there's always already been hundreds of responses which is awesome uh, if you go over to bit.ly forward slash fig survey uh, it's about 10 questions long and it's about my content and, and kind of how i can better it and uh, make the content more um dynamic and more catered to like what people want really uh, that's kind of the aim so if you want to help make fig content better and be in with a chance of winning a 25 pound amazon voucher then go over to bit.ly forward slash fig survey right we've got some nice comments and miscellaneous questions here fi perez from the discord uh name your football manager all-time wonder kid five-a-side squad he says in brackets if sonogo isn't in i'll be appalled (laughs) so uh yeah i guess he's i guess he's gonna be appalled (laughs) um so we'll go with we'll go with tomadira first who if people haven't heard of him that's because he doesn't exist he was in i think it was even definitely before I joined the company, but even possibly before my time of playing, he was a like the best player that's ever been in Championship Manager or FM. If you Google him, he's you know twenties everywhere. I think I don't I don't want to I don't know which one it is, so I don't want to say for certain. But either he was an error or an Easter egg, and he was basically put in there as this ridiculous Brazilian oh no Portuguese I think Portuguese with Brazilian heritage um, striker. And he was so good to the point that our, our SI Sunday uh, 11 aside team is named after him, Tomadeira. We wear bright orange and we're called Tomadeira, so he has to get a place. Um, then next day, I might have Jonas London, who, again, is probably someone people haven't heard of. But in the first year of a uh, championship manager I played, which is 2000, 2001, when I was about 10, um, you could get him from IFK Gothenburg for about 100k. And he very quickly became worth about 40 million, which obviously in today's money is probably about 120 million. Um, so he gets in there for sentimental reasons. Uh, then I'd go for we don't need it's five aside. We don't need a goalkeeper. So uh, so Cherno Samba. I think everyone probably does actually know him from FM. He's a bit of a legend. If you if you were to Google him, I think one of the first things that comes up is his Wonderkid status on FM as opposed to what he's actually doing in his career. And a couple of years ago, it might have been 16, 17, something like that one of the promo vids for the FM game that year had Jerno Samba in it. <laughs> I think I wasn't, I wasn't there at the t- time, so I can't speak to a meeting him personally, but I think all he did in the video as like his status as a football manager legend was we like cut to a pub and there's these guys playing pool around a pool table and we, pa- we pan over to someone and he's, he's crouched over the table with pool, pool cue in hand and he just turns to look at the camera, gives us a little smile and a nod as the voiceover says something about, you know, wonder kids or creating a legacy. And that was Cherno Samba. 
and I figure if he's game for that, he's game for going in goal at five aside. So he's going in goal. Um, and then my last two would be Matias Fernandez and Miguel Veloso, who actually probably both want them to have pretty decent real life careers. Yeah, but <laughs> they're the FM, only ones I recognise. Yeah, exactly. But in FM, they were absolutely outstanding to the point where I think for about three or four years in a row, I'd start as leads, get us promoted from the godforsaken League One or Championship <laughs> at the time. Um, and they'd probably be my first signings as soon as I could. And they would just be your your midfield probably i guess one in the pivot and one at number 10 for about for about 10 years so um and then when we did we did a game called footmander live years and years ago i think it was when i was at uni um if anyone asks no it's not coming back that's miles's who's our sports director his line um but even even when that came out they were they were hot properties in that so i've uh, i've owned them enough in the virtual world to want to play with them in real life so they would they would finish off my team. <laughs> I remember Miguel Veloso being linked to Arsenal like summer after summer after summer, and then he ended up having pr- a pretty average career, which was interesting. Yeah. Uh, he was one of those ones that was always good for stats, but maybe didn't actually uh, show it off in any other way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Question here from FI Architect uh, again from the Discord: How many squats a day does Bielsa have to do to squat like that <laughs> for ninety minutes during the games? <laughs> um, I don't know. Pass. Um, I know like so obviously he uh, everyone knows about the blue bucket right the blue bucket that he sits on Um, so the story behind that he's obviously sat on a number of things in the past there's a great gif of him somewhere uh, of going to I think he's going he he goes to sit what I think is is his bucket it's probably when he's at Marseille or somewhere like that and I think he sits on a um, on the box of uh, water bottles instead obviously that gets a bit messy and he looks very surprised Um, I think it's kind of, he's always said it's the angle of the pitch that he likes. So I guess sat back in the dugout, you're probably a bit bit further away from the action and often a bit low. So I guess he adopts this squatting position by the pitch. And I'm guessing the bucket has simply come from, it gives him that same angle. But, you know, he's getting a little bit older. Hopefully uh, hopefully he lives forever and stays at Leeds United forever. But he probably needs the, uh, needs the bucket now to assume that position when he can't do it. But frankly, he can probably hold it longer than I can. And I'm about 50 years younger than him. <laughs> Yeah, fair play to him. He's he's not exactly young, but you know, fair play. Still got strong glutes. Um, <laughs> what we look what we look for in a manager, right? Yeah. What we look for in a manager knows how to set up a team defensively and has a fine pair of glutes. <laughs> um, PMK from the Discord. Which FM Wonder Kid are you most excited to be IPO'd? You've got so many IPO questions here, Seb. Uh, I had to pick a couple here, but you know, there must be when you came onto the platform first. Like, where's this player? Where's this player? Yeah, I guess I think it's changed as well. To be fair, because when I first joined a couple of years ago, although I wasn't really that active for about a year, I really did spend about a year just looking and waiting and you know coming back a month later um which was about 2018 i think around the world cup when i first joined there were a few um there's one one very good one that i made some money on but i think as the platforms matured and as people have both people have become more knowledgeable but people have maybe had to work harder for their um for their bets as well i think people have used things like foot manager they've used you know real life scouting to identify these people and i'd say we were actually you know, obviously we know we've not had IPOs for a little while and the process itself is going to change, which I think is probably something the smarter people might just sit back and observe at first. But I'd say we probably have an imbalance now where we know more about the players that are going to be IPO'd and have hyped them up to the point where actually I don't know how many of them will be worth it. So someone like, you know, a really obvious one like uh, Rayner at Dortmund, right? 
I don't think there's anyone on FI who spends a lot of time on FI who doesn't know who he is and doesn't know that he's coming. So I don't know if you'd get a fair price for him. So something like Football Manager, maybe it could be useful, absolutely. You know, when when we release the next game, maybe there's someone in there you haven't heard of, but you're still relying on Football Index to IPO them. In terms of the really popular ones, I'd say they're probably all known. And if anything, there's a danger you might at least at first overpay for them. Depends on how the mechanic works. And um, so we'll see how that settles. I think I think it'll be interesting because I don't know about you, Fig, but when they announced how IPOs were going to work, my initial thought was that doesn't sound like I'm going to be able to get a good price, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, right? Because we don't want to be, you know, screwing over other people who don't know footballers or, you know, opportunities to flip. One of my luckiest slash best trades was that 1am, um, was it Thiago Amada and Ithaljan who got released, I think? I happened to be up on an FI literally at that moment, and I made a lot of money in a few minutes through blind luck. I think we'd all like to avoid that, right? You know, the more skill-based it is, the more rewarding it is for everyone. So in terms of actually naming players, there's the obvious ones like Reyna and all that. I really, really like Pedri at Barcelona. But again, I don't think he's a secret. Um, anyone well, I mean, he's playing from... now for them in, the, in their pre-season. Yeah. So, you exactly. know, feels... as you said, it's kind of like, not, not exactly like Reyna, but you've got a player there who's who's really highly regarded by uh, analysts and scouts around the world, highly regarded on the FM database. And um, he's already playing preseason football for Barcelona. Like, again, is there going to be a danger like Reyna that people overpay for him? Yeah, exactly. And I think we're kind of, it feels like we're almost a year behind because if Pedri, you know, people knew Pedri was a thing last year. He was in FM20 and became really good in FM20, which was, you know, that research will have been done over a year ago initially. So if you could have found him then, maybe there's an edge, but I think now there kind of isn't. So maybe the smarter move is rather than playing the literal talent and the career trajectory, maybe trying to play the other people who are going to go to into IPOs. So, you know, your obvious ones like your Man United players, we probably know what's going to happen to them. So maybe the move there is to identify them, wait to see if they come out a little bit lower than you'd expect and look for flips. And I think if you want to hold them long term, Maybe patience is the key on them. So uh, any any others that you want to see, you know, uh, or you're excited about being IPO'd? In terms of in terms of just reeling off some names, um, obviously Pedri and Reina, uh, Conrad at Barcelona, uh, Adiemi, who is probably the next one to attempt to take Haaland's crown as, you know, coming out of that part. Um, Makoku, I think we all know about him. <laughs> yeah, um, I think we've known about him since he was like 10. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so whether there's value there, I don't know, but. He has a good chance of being a good player, so it's all right. Uh, Xavi Simons, or Simmons, is it? Yeah. I think he's Barcelona as well, mostly because of the hair. There's a... Was it? Sigmund, I yeah. I can't remember. Yeah, was it, was it on here? With the, the blonde players? Yeah, that was, that was in this week. Which is... I, there's, a lot, there's a lot in that. And I think... You look at some of the Man United players. Um, you know, Chong, with maybe people... Sure, whether he was talented or not, I don't know. But just because of you know the way he presents himself he stands out on a pitch so you notice him and there's a really there's a really silly comparison with like fifa when people are playing fifa um you know i don't know how much you played but you know the year when like bakayoko was far too good no. because it, <laughs> so okay so in ultimate team you know bakayoko is rated at like i don't know it was like an 80 or something so completely average but he had a couple of attributes that made him good for the meta and he also had bright blonde hair so whenever he did something on the pitch, you noticed him doing it. So you spent the whole match being like, oh, yeah, Bakioko's doing so much for me, whether he was or wasn't. Yeah. So, you know, that, and yeah, that's a good example of what we were discussing before this, whether, you know, know what you're trading. And in that, in that case, you're not trading anything logical at all. Whether it makes you money or not, I don't know. But 
if you know you're trading someone for hype, fine, but you just need to know when to get off. But the colour of someone's hair doesn't make them a better or worse player at all. So if you're if you're purely trading for footballing talent, maybe steer away from those ones. Yeah, the other thing about he's kind of Sorry, famous, isn't he, Javi Simmons? Yeah. Like he, he actually has like a really big following on social media for someone his his age and considering he hasn't made a professional I don't know why. I've read about an article about him being kind of like pretty much a superstar by the age of fourteen, fifteen. Um and is Mina Rolis is injured as well, so you know. Which is always good. <laughs> Ish. <laughs> but then but then that but then that's one of those like um maybe we'll discuss in a bit. If he's already at that level at fourteen or fifteen, are people actually going to rationally think you know, how many 14 or 15 year olds make it? Even Odegaard, who is a very, very solid player. But when he came through at 15, there's a there's a good story about him getting into FM, actually. So I think depending on depending on the nation where the player's from or where we sell the game, there's various cutoffs for where we can have players in the game, obviously for legal, legal reasons. Um, I believe it's 16 on the 1st of September of that year. So Odegaard was 15 when he sort of broke through onto the scene and everyone knew that he was possibly something special. Uh, Miles had to go to Odegaard's dad or Odegaard's dad came to Miles who's our studio director to give explicit permission for including him in our game um, I, can't, I can't remember what it was signed on but it was almost one of those messy napkin stories where yeah. we got a little scrap of paper saying it was all good but obviously since then you know if he IPO'd today how much would he be worth you know Real Madrid were looking to sign him he's looking like one of the best midfielders people have ever seen at 15 and he's still really 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 good but he possibly hasn't fulfilled that yet and I I worry sometimes that with some of the young players like that, people only see the upside and not the downside. So with someone who yeah. at 14 or 15 has already got this massive profile, how far has he got to go to actually earn that? And how far could he possibly recede from there? And yeah. thus, you know, and thus, you know, that's part of your value calculation. Really interesting stuff already. Uh, we haven't even got into the real questions. Uh, what, which football manager regen are you most looking forward to seeing on Football Index in 2035? So to contradict everything I just said, you, you need to sign a guy called David Acton, who's a Belgian striker. I signed him for my uh, my Leamington team when he was... I, I agreed the deal when he was 15. He joined when he turned 17, I think. Um, cost me about 35 million. And that, <laughs> that season was the Premier League and Champions League top goal scorer. 17-year-old. Um, to be honest, I'm not sure he's actually ever going to develop that much. He was one of those players that maybe... Um, we, you know, we put a lot of work into the pro progression curves at FM. We try and model real life. We try and keep it varied. And obviously there's gameplay aspects to consider as well. So sometimes you'll get a player come through who doesn't look like anything, but then, you know, at 23, suddenly he grows into himself or whatever, and he'll shoot on to become a superstar. And then you've got players the other way around. He'll come through at, you know, 16, 17 years old, look amazing, but maybe that's it. You know, they've already done their development. They've actually maxed out really, really early. I wonder if David Acton was one of those, but it almost didn't matter because he came through with something like 17, 18 finishing, 17 pace, like 16 composure. There was basically no improvement required to make him the top goal scorer already. So he went straight into my team over an established 25-year-old. And uh, if he ever becomes a real thing, I'm spending all of my money on him. <laughs> FI and Tonic uh, from the Discord again. Talk me through your most successful career on Football Manager. So yeah, the... The player, the player I just mentioned there was playing for the side. Um, Leamington this year, actually, in FM20. I took Leamington in five years, five promotions from uh, the Conference North to the Premier League and then won the Premier League a couple of years later with the Champions League. Um, I'd never done the five years, five promotions before, so that was kind of nice. I've got close before and, oh, you know, obviously working there helps. You know, you know how the game works. Not really for exploits at all or anything, but just, you know, there's nothing to learn. I'm very familiar with it. 
I'd say I normally avoid playing as leads because because I do the research for it. I'll start, you know, when, when we're testing the game early in the cycle, I'll definitely have a go with leads. But because I do the research, I know all the stuff you're not meant to know. Like, you know, everyone's hidden attributes. And if Patrick Bamford isn't scoring, there's always part of me that goes, well, maybe that's my fault. Maybe I should, <laughs> maybe I should give him better finishing and then he's better. And sweet, there we go, I win. Um, so yeah, I kind of steer away from leads a bit. Um, I quite like the lower level. And, you know, once you, once, once you then get to the Premier League in a few years' time, um, the players aren't quite the same as the release. You know, we've had some of the new guns come through. We've had players progress a few years in their career. So the world looks a little bit different, which maybe takes that edge away that I might have from knowing the database and, you know, knowing who might become a good player or not. Um, but yeah, I've never, I've never done it as successfully as I did this year. Um, every summer I looked at my squad and went, well, we're a year behind. I didn't get expect to get promoted. So I suppose I need 22 new players. And I did that and it worked for five years in a row. Um, two players stayed with me throughout, though. I signed in the conference. I signed Reese Cole um, and Timmy Abraham, who's the younger brother of Tammy. And they stayed with me literally from the conference to the Premier League. And Timmy uh, scored on my Premier League debut, which was which was kind of fun. It's always, I think, foot managers so often about those stories. You know, those attachments you build with real players or, you know, or made up players and the stories you can tell with them. So, yeah, I think for that reason, that was definitely my favourite save. Yeah, I had a, I think it was a, oh man, was it FIFA, uh, FM 13 or 14 Arsenal save? And like I sold Giroud, um, I was trying to get another striker in and for some reason I just couldn't get a striker in the end of that summer and Danny Welbeck became my like focal point of the team. Oh, and he's, you, know, you know it's going well when that happens. But he scored 76 goals oh, in the first season. And sounds, I that, did, sounds like, that sounds like a bug, mate. Report. Yeah, it, it, I thought <laughs> I definitely thought it was a bug. I was like, "How the hell is he scored?" But it was like he scored loads of goals. It wasn't like the rest of my team scored loads of goals. Amazing. So he he basically came like third in the Ballon d'Or rankings and like everything. It was mental. He scored like I don't know how many goals for me over the two or three seasons. And then every every summer, I was like, "Should I like his stats don't really tally up to how good he is? Should I buy another striker?" And anyone I bought just wasn't as good as him. It's just mental. So uh, I yeah, had that I don't know. With, 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 with my Leamington game, I obviously had this striker act and I had a great midfield, some a decent defence. Uh, Timothy Nicholas, who was my captain, was a was a number ten that I bought at about twenty one for about I think it was about one hundred and ninety million, which was outrageous. But I had I had something like two hundred million to spend and I needed one player, so I kind of did an Edward Wood and went, well, I guess I'm having that one. <laughs> um, it was actually we talked about yeah, a bit of Twitter earlier. Funnily enough, it was I really couldn't decide between him and another player, so I put it up on Twitter and people said sign that one, so I did. So you know, a well thought out reason transfer decision there. Um, but the right the right hand side of that midfield. I could never, ever get right. I think I must have spent, over the course of my time in the Premier League, probably about 500 million on trying to fill the right wing slot. And it just never worked. And then worse than that, every, t- every time I buyed, uh, buyed one, that's good top English right there. Um, every time I bought one, I would, you know, he wouldn't perform how I wanted. He'd probably be the weak link in the side. So I'd sell him a year or two later. And without fail, every time I sold one of them, they'd go on to be amazing at their next club. Either that, either scoring against me or winning awards, winning trophies, to the point where I eventually, before uh, before that save came to its end, I just stopped playing with a right winger. I signed an amazing attacking uh, right wing back and went, you know what, it doesn't work, so I'm not using one. 
yeah it's uh yeah fuck it like if it doesn't work if no one can replace danny welbeck then just keep danny welbeck that's the that's the rule of fm that i've realized <laughs> uh matt burrows from uh the discord again which leads players which leads players do you think will increase in price the most this year and which leads players have the most chance of winning a dividend <laughs> just a single one p one p anything anything so i get i guess caveat i tend to shy away from owning Leeds players because I don't necessarily I wouldn't say I can't value them but I don't necessarily trust myself to completely separate objectivity from subjectivity um, it just feels safer you know there are so many players on FI that you can own I don't need to own Leeds players even if Jaden Sancho signed for Leeds there's still plenty of other players so I try to avoid Leeds players for myself for other people um, I'd say I mean, we're talked about quite a bit, possibly more than our actual ability, even though I think, you know, I'm very optimistic on us. I think we'll do really well. So I wonder I wonder how much value is there. But in terms of our current players and winning dividends, Harrison and Click are probably the most PB suitable. Um, obviously, both scored a goal last weekend, so you get the IPDs from that. In terms of performance dividends, I think one of the most important factors is basically playing for a club that's going to win and win a lot, right? So maybe you'd have to time it. But those would be my two picks out of just pure PB, almost irregardless of price, just who has the best chance of returning something for you. Um, it might be more interesting to look at IPOs. So I know, I think we might have a question about this later, that Noah Kenner is very, very, very good on IFM. And yes, that was me. And maybe he's too good, maybe he's not. Ask me again in five years. Um, but if he gets IPO'd, he's nowhere near our first team, so don't expect to see him play. And it's, you know, it's, it's definitely a bit of a gamble. But if he gets IPO'd at a decent price and not enough people know about him, I really rate his future. So he could be a good one to, you know, buy, have a look at, see if he does get some minutes in the future. One of my personal favourite players is Jamie Shackleton, who again isn't on the platform, which is disappointing considering he came on against Liverpool. Um, I don't know how PB suitable he would be particularly, especially if he's not playing 90 minutes each week. But his style reminds me of Lewis Cook. So if there was someone that you think might follow that sort of Lewis Cook, Calvin Phillips route into an England side or there or thereabouts, Jamie Shackleton would be my guy. But again, because he hasn't been IPO'd, we don't know what price he's going to come in at. So you can't really manage your risk on him without having that information. So yeah, I'd say, you know, when when, the, when those players come out, have a look at it. You know, think about it. Are they actually going to win dividends? You've heard, you know, many, many smart people on this podcast talk about how to value players. Are they actually going to win dividends or is it just a shiny new toy? And if it's not the former, don't worry about it. Leave leads alone. <laughs> leave him alone leave him alone on leave a scale of <laughs> leave him to me Perry FI from Twitter on a scale of from of one to Thomas Brolin how bad is the signing of Rodrigo 29 years old with little resale value and four goals in the league last season as a striker but a 27 million pound fee now I've got to be honest with you Seb I actually questioned this signing as well yeah what do you question about it um I just think like when you're trying to add goals to that forward line because Bamford, you know, is not the greatest finisher, even though he'll probably score, you know, uh, Sac sacrilege. 15 to 17, 18 goals this season in all comps, if, if you're lucky. Um, I think it's a lot of money for someone that age. I, I kind of agree with Perry, considering his his output. Um, but I, I did used to think he was really good, Rodrigo. He's kind of stalled in his progression in his career. I think, I think, I think that's not unreasonable. So like, yeah, obviously... I guess Perry's not a Leeds fan. Um, <laughs> I think I think that's not unreasonable, but it's one of those. I guess there's a few things to it. You're a Premier League club. You have money to spend. People know this. The price goes up, right? You know, is Declan Rice worth 80 million if he plays for Villarreal 
he's definitely not um so yeah maybe we paid over the odds a little bit but i think as well anyone who knows leeds and knows leeds well from the last couple of years so sounds stupid but our striker isn't necessarily there to score goals. And I know the Firmino is the popular example of that. And of course, you know, given the choice between a striker who does and doesn't score goals, all else being equal, I'll take the goals, thanks. But the, I mean, the reason Bamford is in the side basically hasn't had his question placed, uh, hasn't had his uh, place questioned even by Bielsa over the last season and a half is because of what he adds off the ball. The, the pressing, you know, watch us. I think we're, oh, you'll miss it when this goes out, but we're not three o'clock today, but Watch us when we play when Bamford starts and watch him off the ball. So we leave a spare man at the back to pick up runners and whatnot, which uh, last year was Ben White and was Pascal's strike in Liverpool match, I think. Going forward, we'll see who that is with Liam Cooper coming back into the side. But that means that Bamford who, or whoever is up front has to take responsibility for effectively closing down two centre-backs at once. And obviously you want to close the one with the ball, but it leaves the other one free. And I think you saw that against Liverpool, actually. Van Dijk and Gomez could play out which is expected in our system. But that means you need a lot from our striker off the ball, and Bamford gives us that. And I think if you look at Rodrigo's qualities, he definitely brings that as well. Yeah, his goal scoring last year and his XG was absolutely atrocious, but so was everything in the Valencia side. If you look at him the years before, his XG was decent. Uh, Bamford's known for underperforming XG. I also wonder if he's actually not necessarily been signed to be number nine. So if Bamford, you know, Bamford is going to have to lose his place for Rodrigo to start at number nine, it won't happen just because we've signed a player. Bielsa doesn't work like that. I think Rodrigo's got as much chance as playing on the right wing as he does up front. And then, okay, it's £27 million, our record fee, but that's because, you know, last time it was Rio Ferdinand 18 years ago. If it's a right winger that can double up on that press and progresses the ball, which is a really, really important thing in our team, obviously against Liverpool, not so much, you know, they're a much better side than us. But you saw in the championship last year, we would absolutely dominate possession but if you just set up, you know, your two banks of four or, you know, even a bank of five and drop right into a low block, we then need, and it's the reason we signed Helder Costa, we need someone who can actually carry the ball at feet and progress it forward without necessarily having to pass it. And I think really we kind of only had Helder Costa in the side to do that last year. Rodrigo has shown that he's good at that. And Rodri, uh, Rodrigo de Paul is someone else who can do it both passing and at the, uh, the ball at his feet. Now that would be worth £27 million, pounds, I reckon. He's looking at about 40, I think, at the moment. Um, current, current, currently, the, the reason we haven't completed that deal, to the best of my knowledge, is we want to pay up to about 30 million euro and they want 40. I mean, so, the thing is, whenever you can waiting. sign a player who becomes your best player, you've got to do it, right? I think. Oh, yeah. If it's down to me, I want to sign DePaul. I mean, I trust, you know, I trust how the clubs run, uh, nowadays at least. And <laughs> I guess we're kind of playing a bit of a game of chicken. If, if DePaul actually wants to come to us and we're the only team offering close to their asking fee and they want to sell eventually then yeah, i guess he'll come to us it's a bit of a game of chicken but he would i mean everyone was on fi who knows DePaul, right he's he's probably one of the few players that can really compete for bb from a mid-table club so even for fi he might actually be the one you know to go back to a question from a moment ago he might be the one leads player that is in with a chance and i do own some of him at the moment whether i'd continue that just for me personally because like i said i want to maybe be careful with leads players um i don't know but in, in real life terms I'm all about that. He would he would fill that Hernandez slot, which we need. You know, Hernandez is getting old. He has injuries. So even if he doesn't drop out of the team, it's important that we plan for the future there and have someone to rotate with him. And I think he'd immediately be our best player. So likewise, if Rodrigo's doing a job on the right-hand side that fits into the system, maybe it's just one of those, you pay the money for the player you want. Question here from Dave uh, W. Has Seb 
ever completed the football manager and taking working from the conference champions league in six months uh six seasons six months six months that would be quite some feat wouldn't it <laughs> yeah maybe someone with, with some other internal tools um ah see my previous answer i did lemington in five it's on you. oh lemington in five checkmate <laughs> Uh, ben Q here from the Facebook page where you can find on facebook.com forward slash football index guide. Please go and uh, follow and like that page because I want to build that up a little bit and uh, make that into a, a positive football index Facebook community. Who is going to be this season's breakout performance buzz star? I would assume TAA, Trent Alexander-Arnold, was last season's. So this is always what people want to know. Who's going to be the breakout star this season from a football index standpoint? Ooh. I guess it depends how you quantify a breakout star. So I guess for me, that would be someone who maybe even in just CA terms because of their PB performance is going to return the highest. Maybe someone who, you know, we haven't thought of. For me, I quite like those players who show the underlying stats, have a history of returning, but maybe have fallen out of favour. So someone like Insigne, he seems... For, for the price he is, you know, it depends on how you project them doing, but Napoli underperformed last year. Insigne, even in that, performed quite well, maybe didn't return the dividends that his numbers suggested. So if you just wanted to play the probability of, you know, he's going to get luckier as compared to unlucky last year, maybe he's a reasonable shout. Realistically, though, if you want, you know, if you want your proper TAA from nowhere to somewhere, you probably have to take a gamble, right? So maybe you go for a player who isn't even in the PB League at the moment at all. I quite like, for my strategy, and I think you do a bit of this as well, don't you, Fig? I like the players who are in non-PB Leagues but show promise because the upside just seems a lot better than the downside on those players. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I mean, uh, one of the guys that people have been itching to see how he does consistently playing 90 minutes week in, week out is uh, James Rodriguez. I think he's just scored for Everton. So he has, he has indeed. Keep, keep your eye on that one. I mean, um, if he was a few years younger, he'd be he's someone that would be flying price-wise, wouldn't he, in terms of the four, five, six pounds. But it's weird to think of him as a 30-year-old man. <laughs> That's an interesting one, isn't it? Because he's both, I guess, both the age thing and also Everton. It's yeah. They're in that awkward position of if he'd just gone and signed for, you know, Chelsea signed a load of midfielders. So if he'd signed for them, you'd immediately think, well, they're going to win more games. They're probably going to have a more PB suitable game. Even if you haven't looked into the stats, that's probably a fair assumption on a reflex. I guess maybe that would make him more attractive. At Everton, maybe there's more of a question, but then that's why he's a cheaper price. You know, you, you pay for what you get. And in the past, we've seen him be an absolute monster on PB. So if you back him to still be the player he was, it's a decent look. Yeah. Someone, yeah, I, yeah. someone I really like or liked probably, you know, maybe it's a bit late now, but uh, Cancelo, Cancelo um, who when he was at, when he was at Inter, I think he was on set pieces and was in a very, very attacking fullback. Then he went to Juve, lost a few set pieces, but was still very attacking and put in the stats. When he went to Man City, he obviously basically didn't play for a season. But the only piece of new information there was he's not playing. He wasn't injured. He hadn't become a worse player. Sure, he was a year older, but he's not 35. His price probably dropped to too much of a pessimistic level where it was a reasonable gamble to say, if I think he ever plays for Man City... They're an incredibly performance-suitable uh, team, and he's a very performance-suitable player, even without set-pieces. If he doesn't play for Man City, he probably gets a transfer. Does he move to Leeds? Does he move to West Brom? Or does he actually probably go back to someone like Napoli or Milan or Inter or somewhere like that? So that was someone who was probably quite a good look, just to take a... You know, he's, he's probably at the floor. People are the most pessimistic they're going to be on him, given reasonable circumstances. Of course, injury is always a risk. 
but he was probably quite a good look. And then I think that probably came to fruition. The end of last season, he started playing left back, uh, not even right back, put in some very good PB scores and off the top of my head, probably went from about 80, 90p at the bottom to a pound more than that. So I think players like that, again, not necessarily Cancelo, you've possibly missed the opportunity there, but players like that, where you can pick someone out and go, how much further have they got to fall? And do they actually have a decent profile that people are now being too pessimistic on? are probably the ones that have the highest upside. And of course, they come with risk. But you don't get the best returns without taking on a little bit of risk. I've just realised I've done the stupidest thing ever. I've yeah. um, I've put Matty James in my FPL team instead of Hammers Rodriguez. Seriously? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, for some reason, I thought he'd be called Hammers on FPL. And oh, I've just, no. And I've just... Compl- I think I've done it on my phone and not really looked. And I've, that's, um... that's not a problem. I will happily take the FPL crown from you in our league. That's <laughs> Not good. Hey, go perk of the perk of the Patreon there. Oh, we've got an FPL league. Yes, we do have an FPL league that I'm probably not going to win now after that. That that there's some there's some few decent people in there. To be fair, someone had a was like a 400 or 600th place finish, something like that. I think last (laughs) oh not last year, but a couple of years ago. That's mental. That is really high. Decent mental uh just before we get into it i need to remind you that this podcast is sponsored by index gain um they've launched a, a product recently called my ig which helps traders manage their portfolios as well as view real-time spreads and price price across the entire index analyze price moves for your players over multiple price periods simultaneously get real price alerts straight to your phone for the players you hold or are watching uh, you can use the code fig 2020 for five quid off your first month or if you go for the six month membership you get a free month uh, and five pounds off your first month uh, over on indexgain.co.uk so go check that out so first and foremost before we get into some proper questions so i wanted to take you back to sunday uh, i think i did this panda but i, I want to hear your thoughts um, reflect on that period where uh, i think there was a lot of fear a lot of emotion going around in the community and i just want to hear your retrospective thoughts yeah so you mentioned the notes earlier i think this is probably where i've made the most notes and i think it's it's probably something that a lot of a lot of people much more knowledgeable than myself have had their say. So I don't want to re- reiterate to that, you know, that too much. Go listen to the podcast and the videos you did this week. But I think initially you'd you'd either be silly or a psychopath not to have had that moment where you go, "What's happening? Am I in trouble?" I think my first thought when I saw it, I probably logged on about there was a match that evening, wasn't it? Was it? What was it? Was it? What was the last match on Tottenham? Was it uh, on PSG? Sunday? Tottenham Everton or PSG? Oh, of PSG. course, because of course Neymar. Neymar yeah, there the you go. Yeah. Um, so after that, obviously, I was watching that, and then um, after that, logged on it's about eleven o'clock or something, and you saw a few prices start falling. So yeah, obviously, th- first thoughts being, am I in trouble? Because um, of course, you know, you'd be you'd be a crazy person not to think that. But I think it's important to remain calm. And when I was when I was looking at it, probably similar to COVID, I was thinking. Is FI dying? You know, is this the end of the journey? The answer to that is pretty much no, right? Even if you don't start thinking about yields and all that sort of stuff, I think we know enough about them to know they're not going to let their company, you know, it's literally their livelihood. They're not going to let their company go under because someone dropped, what, 20%. Realistically, so then after that, can I responsibly afford to take advantage of the situation? Because once you've determined, you know, is the company dying and the the pretty reasonable answer is no. I think then you start thinking, okay, there are opportunities. And I'm not saying everyone should do this, but I'm very happy to admit that that's where I see my edge 
if it were in FI, you know, maybe maybe seeing people being too pessimistic and taking advantage of that. Um, and if the answer to that is yes, it's then so okay, where's this opportunity? What can I do with it? So probably about probably about one o'clock, so a couple of hours after it started going down between midnight one o'clock, I started looking at two things. Are there players I can buy now that have dropped far too far and will bounce back even in a moment and thus I can flip? It doesn't matter if I want to hold them for long term. It's still important to have an idea of value, of course, because you want to know if you're getting a good price or not. But I don't need to hold them any longer than 12 hours. You know, can I can I make a little bit of a, a little bit of money off this opportunity? And then secondly, there's a lot of players who I just thought in the past um I know, for example, one of your favourites, um, Chulovesky from Juventus now. I probably missed out on him. And that's fine. You can miss out on players. You absolutely don't have to have them all. And I think one of the things that, you know, everyone knows this, but FOMO, don't. if you've missed out on someone at a reasonable price, don't go chasing after them. There are plenty more opportunities. Well, funnily enough, those opportunities came along. And actually, that's probably players like that are ones I bought for the long-term view. And then, so I paid what I thought was a reasonable price, given the given the yields on offer. And because we determined that FI probably wasn't going under, therefore it was just a case of, okay, well, is there any new information? Not really. You know, people can panic. People panic in markets. Is there any new information with the players though? Has someone been injured? Okay, Neymar got a red card, but his career's not over. So actually, have the yields changed? No, they've gone up. The dividends, which is what drives everything, are the same. In fact, they're very, very generous. So it was an opportunity to get on players that I don't think we're going to see that price for quite a while. Of course, like I said, you need to take a reasonable, you know, a reasonable assessment of risk there and absolutely never put in more than you can afford to lose. Um, but if you do have that, it's a good chance to take op- an opportunity of that. So I think probably similar to yourself and a few people on the uh, on the discard after, after that initial panic, it was kind of a case of, you know, head over heart, remaining calm and seeing what we could make of this. And I think you've you've gone into the analysis of this plenty, but realistically it was probably caused by a few people acting irrationally and not even that many i think what was it you said on the podcast uh, well in the I, week? I, I think according to the numbers from uh slasher mcgurk sorry i laugh every time i say that <laughs> no, uh, i've been actually dming with him recently um the numbers that he's kind of got and, and pulled to twitter uh it looked like what twelve thousand shares of sancho um like nine thousand of neymar or something like that uh, had been sold via the offer um which is so few so so few considering to uh how many are in circulation there's over a million sancho shares in circulation isn't there you know so it's crazy to think about how few there is exactly and i think obviously as we now know that's possibly a failing of the mechanic they had in place but also we want this eventually to be as free a market as it can be you know we we do actually want people to both irrationally but also you know there's good reason if you if you need to dump a player for whatever reason you want to be able to get out of them right so we need the mechanics there to be able to do that possibly those mechanics were a little bit off i think i think people maybe could have seen that coming but it's always easier after the fact of course i think the 300 thing it makes it possibly made sets up front because you could see their thinking their thinking was well if it's 300 on one end we want it to be 300 on the other end so that it's equally elastic on either side and so that if i'm buying one of a player I want to know exactly up front on what, what I'm getting and I want to have the price respond to that. But also, obviously, as we learned, that possibly wasn't taking emotion into account. And if a player starts dropping to the most pessimistic opinion someone has of that player, then the second most pessimistic person has a heart attack and drops their price even further. And we saw that snowballing effect. And I'm not sure the measures, the temporary measures, of course, we've got in place now will necessarily fix that. But they've said themselves, no. right? They're, they're temporary. It's a 
probably for a very a very terrible analogy it's it's wearing a mask on a covid wing in a hospital it's absolutely going to protect, protect you for a short while but if you stay there long enough you're probably going to catch covid yeah. so re- 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 realistically you need to you need to treat the cause not the symptom right yeah 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 precisely and do you think those i guess i call them fail safe measures now do you think they're too aggressive by fr do you think the um penny uh, undercut thing is is too small an increment do you think that's uh, restrictive to t- too restrictive compared to a free market or are people going to be surprised by how quickly prices fall if you've got as you've kind of alluded to i think instinctively both the 900 share thing and the 1p movement thing feels too restrictive but then maybe that's what was needed they took you know they, they took they took a little while which i'd rather I'd rather they did nothing, you know, a bit like us as traders, right? I'd rather they remained calm, observed, and then made a sensible decision as opposed to rushing into something. I think they've, overreaction is the wrong word, but I think they've taken the strictest measures they could simply to plug those, I think you said the other day, you know, plastering over that that gap in the wall until you can fix it properly. It will stop it happening again to the same extent. But if, you know, if we all conservatively want want to get out of one player, we can make that happen. You know, we can work together to make that happen. And 1P won't stop that. It'll just make it slower. And realistically, even if it happens slower, you still need someone to take your offer for you to sell that player. So if no one's willing to buy, it almost doesn't matter what speed that player drops. But it will hopefully allay a little bit of panic. Long term, I think something something I've observed about FI, and I think plenty of other people have as well, is maybe their planning isn't the best, but their reactions are pretty good. So they don't necessarily, I don't know, I think I think COVID had a bigger effect on them than any of us appreciate. Not necessarily financially, but in terms of their plans. They went into this year going, what, we've got this massive marketing budget upcoming. We've got a partnership with NASDAQ. Before that, we might do order books. I'm not sure if that was a reaction to COVID or if it was planned. But we have this massive plan in place. And then literally a once in a century thing comes along. And their first move was really, really impressive. Of course, their first move was self-interested as much as it was looking after us. You know, they stopped themselves bleeding money by a function of stopping us bleeding money. And you can't blame them for that. They're a company. You know, what's their what's their reason for existing? Making money. They've got to they've got to pay their people. So I don't mind that at all. But I think from that point onwards, because they hadn't had the opportunity to plan for it, I think you had you had um, is it a cash on the podcast? Yes. And they were talking about eight weeks to conceive and implement um, the matching engine, which is crazy. Both impressive that they reacted, but maybe that's where we start seeing the flaws come in. The fact that they felt they had to respond and they did, which is fair play, but their plans went out the window. And then maybe they didn't they didn't effectively war game, if you like, the rest of this year. Doing something like introducing half an order book. And of course, you know, I've said it before, hindsight is is very lazy and very easy here. What would I have done if I was in that situation? I don't know. But doing half of an order book seems very strange, especially after what you've done to the market is you've stopped anyone being able to sell. So even, and like myself, I put, I think about 50% of my current deposits were made on Black Thursday. But I then put that in and can't get it out, which is why I only put in what I was happy to, you know, not touch for a year. I kind of can't get that out until they change the market or something significantly changes. And we saw prices drop massively because people worried, which is fair enough. But again, a bit similar to this Sunday. If COVID wasn't going to end the world and you had affordable money available, 
then it was logical to take advantage of that situation. But I think then it was stuck and we didn't have then the facility. We didn't have the other side of the market being able to actually realize the money we'd put in. And their solution to that was maybe to make it even more lopsided as opposed to balance it. And I think we're kind of still reeling from that, right? So you look at Pogba's price until recently was six, seven pound. That pound was no longer, that, that price was no longer reflective of his actual value. And I don't think anyone thought he was worth that given what's happened at Man United in the last six months, the last half of the season. Anyone on Twitter, you know, is trying to sell him you at £8. Possibly, you know why they're trying to do that, because they have, a, they have a lot of Pogba, right? It doesn't mean he's worthless. It just means his value is now different. We had new information, but that new information wasn't feeding through to the price you see on the screen, which is possibly unfair on some traders who don't have the time or don't have the inclination to go and dig into it. Because if I see Pogba is worth £7 and then the next day he's worth £5, what changed in those 24 hours? Well, in a football sense, nothing changed. What changed was the mechanics. And I think, to quote Pogba, I don't want to trade announcements. I don't want to trade mechanics. I want to, to trade quote Podco, you mean Panda. I say, there we go. Oh, there you go. Good. I was like, Panda. wow, when has Pogba ever been quoted quote saying Pogba. stuff about FI? <laughs> <laughs> Freudian slip. Um, to quote Panda, the, uh, the Pogba of FI. I don't know what that makes you think. Uh, the Sancho? Ooh, ooh. Younger, higher potential. Yeah, slightly performing shorter. at a better level at the moment on the pitch. Yeah. Oh, here's one for you. You know the um, you know the the slight jives at your height sometimes. Uh, yeah, I don't get it. I'm five ten. I'll give you. <laughs> I'll give you a potential uh, a potential get out. Go on. I'm five seven. Ah, oh, wow. Okay, so, so you yeah. are definitely shorter than me. Well, we'll see. We'll have to meet up sometime. <laughs> I don't get it. Panda in real life is shorter than me. But I found oh, really? it as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm fascinated to know what Panda's like in real life. He's great. He's great on the pod. He's I, the exact same person. He, oh, really, so good, so good. <laughs> on DMs, on text, in person, he is the same. The same bloke, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> unfortunately. Um, but no, no. At the next trade of me, I will not tower above people, but I will not be, you know, looking up to a lot of people. Like I'm, I'm not short. I'm not, uh, you know, particularly tall. So fuck everyone in the Discord that keeps calling me short. Uh, um, like. like- <laughs> Like like another like another measurement. If you have to tell people about it, you probably don't feel great about it, right? Yeah, yeah, I, I guess so. Um, it's probably my own insecurity, right? <laughs> oh, dude, <laughs> this just suddenly becomes a therapy podcast. But um, yeah, I mean, you know, just <laughs> stepping back into the world of FI, there. Um, when you know we look at what we've currently got with this one p increment, is this a situation where? FI think about waiting for the volume of money to come in and they reduce those kind of um, uh, increments to 2p to 5p so that prices can become a bit more elastic and a bit more volatile. I mean, they have sorted a couple other issues out. Like I've, I've had a few people messaging me today saying that in-play trading is now easier to do because of the bidding system how you can bid um, as high as you want and then it kind of hits, it, it, it kind of you know, matches those uh, instant buys and, and sell offers automatically, which is quite cool. Um, so they've done that quite well. And yeah, I mean, they've, they've limited the volatility, but I guess the stabilizers they've, they've got on, I kind of think of them as, I don't know, it, it's not just two stabilizers, is it? It's like a, I'm trying to think of a better analogy here of something that you can kind of slowly loosen. It's kind of like a... Uh, it's kind of like a, you know, when you work yourself up the resistant bands, you know, if you've ever used them for, for exercise or physio, anyone who's, who's ever done any rehab or whatever, you start off with like the weaker yellow ones and then you go to the green and then the red and then the strongest one is the black. And I suppose um, we went straight to black 
um with this kind of 300 minimum and you can buy and sell at whatever price and the the sell offers uh are back to back they fall um and now we've gone back to to the yellow kind of resistance band where it's kind of very easy to stretch and it's very quick to get used to and i wonder if fi traders are ready for kind of that next step and what kind of volume and liquidity we need to see for that next step and also do we need to have circuit breakers um do we have do we need to have other functionality do we need to have training material i think me and panda have talked about this not being like a a one a people are like oh the liquidity is bad you know if we fix the liquidity everything will be fine it's like yeah okay if you fix the liquidity it would be a better situation where there's more um there's 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 the volatile price swings kind of make more sense and there's a lot more trading activity but if you don't have market depth and there's more liquidity like you know you've basically got the situation again where you have an order book with no book um but with more liquidity like like there is no one-stop shop that fixes this completely i think fi have realized that right and i think that's why they've put these very restrictive stabilizers on so as they slowly release functionality and liquidity and uh stuff into the platform they can slowly release those um stabilizers and they can let us go up these resistant bands that i've kind of used uh, as an analogy yeah i think there's probably a few things i'd like to add to that but i guess just as a question for you i was talking about maybe their planning not being the best but yes. their reactions being decent what what would you say if they came out after this and said look we've had a think and due to the world you know the world environment we don't know if there's going to be another lockdown we don't know if someone's business who is solid today and i'm not speaking fi i'm talking you know people's personal businesses are going to go under and it doesn't matter how sensible you are on fi if you are suddenly out of employment it's very hard to plan for that what if they turned around and said look because of clearly the volatility the sentiment that is in the market the fact that maybe the mechanics weren't ideal and because covid is still around we're going to completely change our roadmap and it is going to focus simply on fixing these mechanics. If they said, and I know media is a sensitive subject, but realistically, I don't I don't really trade for media personally, but I also don't hate it. It kind of feels like a, a bit of a, and I know it's part of the uh, the USP, but in terms of it being a problem, compared to all of this, it very much feels backseat. If they were to say, look, media will change next summer now, because we are going to focus purely on fixing this and giving you, giving you the product that, I guess... I'd say they promised, we'll come on to that maybe in a little bit and in the next question, but the product that it's meant to be, the product that they intend with the mechanics that are well thought out and have and allow, allow users to use the product in the way it's meant to be. Mm. What would you think if they came out and said that? I think that um, what people want is a lack of uncertainty, right? Um, and I think we've talked about this in... Uh, relation to media for example right so we've talked about kind of should articles uh mentioning x y or z stay and at some point this festism becomes such an issue that people are very much more of the opinion that i want something sorted whether it's kind of the right thing or the right, i just want to know where i stand and i want the line in the sand it's kind of like brexit right it's been going on for so, so long most people in the country now like 90 percent of people like your average layman person don't give a fuck about any anymore they just want an outcome one way or another um for whatever reason right and i think that's it's the same right with um media but i also think it's the same with kind of fi's future proofing and their roadmap so in this situation where we're kind of now in this stabilization uh, point uh, with FI, if they did come out, Seb, and said, you know, for the next three months, this is what we're going to be working on. And we've actually 
tweaked our roadmap so that nasdaq comes in three months after we planned because we're concerned by covid and they can obviously make clear we're not concerned by covid uh, affecting us in particular we're conf- uh, affected uh we're concerned by its effect on kind of the macro economy people's spending people's um um people's expendable income and also governments are, are very much getting on to gambling companies during covid because um for obvious reasons right like if people if they know like governments know the economy is going to shrink and and we're going to be in for a tumultuous time over the next 12 to 18 months they want to make sure people are spending money on things that they need to to live day to day their their bills etc um and i I do think you know if, if they did come out and say look this is what we're looking at for the next three to six months and it's changed slightly this is what it was this is what it is now with the you know revelation of the community not being ready for a full free market and also with covid potentially becoming a force again uh not only in in kind of our daily lives but in the uk economy this is what we're going to do i wouldn't be too i wouldn't be too um annoyed at that or concerned by that as long as like we know what it is like if we have the line in the sand as a community we can say well this is the game in front of us for the next three months yeah i think that's fair i think to uh to go for a pretty rubbish analogy what what it felt like has happened maybe maybe because of their actions or maybe because of their reactions to the the state in the world it feels like we've gone from thinking babies are delivered by storks to reading the kama sutra we we weren't ready for that level of detail we didn't know, we didn't we, we didn't know what to so do well. with it and i mean even if you know so you shouldn't do that right and if you do you end up with traumatized people and i think we're those traumatized people we went from we went from something that was very, very hard to lose on and kind of wasn't... Eventually, it's going to be trader versus trader and it kind of started to get that way. And obviously, that means some people have to lose. It doesn't mean everyone has to lose. It means different people will lose at different times. But realistically, as soon as instant sell on FI side was removed, they were no longer the ones particularly taking the loss on your bad trades. And I think without COVID, I think we would have had more time to learn that, right? We would have had more time to go... I've made a bad trade. Why did I make that? How can I not do it in the future? But overnight, we went straight to, you know, being given that karma sutra and I'm going, oh my God, what is this? I don't understand. Run away. And I think that's that's as much on us as it is on them. But if it's there, you know, if, if it's in their interest to have a knowledgeable consumer base and that's how they're going to earn the most money for themselves, then it is their responsibility to educate us just as much as it's our responsibility in ourselves to look after our own money and to learn about something that we're putting not insignificant sums into, right? Yeah, yeah. I I think you've used a amazing analogy there with the uh, stalks <laughs> and karma sutras. I think it's uh, it's really good there. Um, I, I do want to move us quickly on to one of the other announcements, which was the sessions. Um, what are your thoughts about that? Like uh, potentially, you know, this is being used as a trial, but um, you know, potentially could be a long term thing in terms of having market downtime fundamentally i really like it i would like it to stay i mean there's a reason it's in other markets um even again if if fi is a gambling product that you know sort of stars itself on a certain type of market or what have you it doesn't mean we can't have things that are included there i think i think it works i think it needs a little bit of consideration again like so many things you know they've slapped it in place and it's decent but i wonder why they chose 11 30 and not midnight considering media can change it's only half an hour but last night we saw um who was it tied at the top it was tiago and um gareth bale 
they were changing loads all the time. Now, while I can't actually earn dividends from buying, betting on either one of those players, I damn learning new information. So if it was closed at midnight, I think that might match a bit more with how some of the rest of their product is working. And then if you want to look at opening again in the morning, maybe it'd be sensible to open it after they've released dividends and things like that. Because um, naturally what you're going to get is you're going to get, you know, the pent up selling and buying bottlenecking at certain points at close and open of market. So if if we have the traditional IPD sell off or PB sell off or whatever at the end of the night, that's still going to happen. It's just now going to wait till 7.30 and possibly be more extreme because yeah. everyone has a specific time in which they're going to do it. And it's, and it's fastest. fastest there, uh, you beat me to it. Exactly. Which isn't necessarily a bad thing because actually if I know it's coming, more information is good. If I know it's coming, I can react accordingly. But then you have to be very careful about that timing. And I'd want to make sure they've got that timing right. And I don't know if they have. I would like to see it continued in the future, provided, of course, you know, we'll learn what happens over this next week or so. One thing to keep in mind with it, though, is if we do go for pooled liquidity in the future, does closing the market work? Because if we open markets in America, well, you can't close it halfway through their day. Yeah, it's a great point. It's a great point. Mm. To go, um, you know, there's probably a few negatives there. One positive I would like to, to highlight is something that really impressed me recently. And actually, we talk about, you know, my reaction to, to Black Sunday. You, you know, you weigh it up. Is FI a company that I want to you know, bet my money on, as well as literally betting on, you know, the things they offer me. I think the company's growing very fast. I know it's five or six years in now, but some of the way it operates, you still wonder, do they have enough people? Are they big enough? You know, has actually their idea, which is, this could only really be a positive. Has their idea actually outstripped their ability to deliver the idea? But Adam Cole used to be absolutely the face of it, right? You know, there's even a not Adam Cole Twitter account. (laughs) All the communication used to come from him. And we saw that, you know, maybe one of his Q&As wasn't a great idea. What's really, really impressed me is that he responded to that by going, I'm going to step back. So he's still involved, I assume, as much as he ever would be in FI Towers. But in terms of on Twitter, in terms of talking to us, it's now Football Index. And you would assume there might have been a professional PR person hired to do that role. That really impressed me because he separated ego there, right? It's really tempting to be... I am the big I am. I came up with this cool idea. I'm making dollar. You all love me. Look at my face on the side of a bus. And he said no to that. And I think that's a really positive sign that actually his interests are, of course, his interests are making money. That's why he operates a business. But his interests are actually seeing his baby grow, not seeing his ego grow. Yeah. 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 Particularly, I mean, getting the uh, comms officer in has been a really good um a good move by fi you know it's been a really really good move so it's uh it's interesting to see how that develops their comms over the last couple of days a few days have been really good so yeah I, I think there's been um there's been you know a, a lot of developments there and i think it's been for the positive and i think longer term you're going to see why that's really important aren't we absolutely absolutely um, so I saw you tweeting a little bit here, uh, Seb, about FI's kind of UI and design. You know, as a designer yourself, I want you to talk me through some of the things you've been posting and and kind of tell me why they're so important to the product. I realise we haven't even fucking got into the questions and we're in an hour in, but I mean, this is, this has been such good stuff that I <laughs> so can't really all stop All of this you. will be cut. No one will hear any of this. All gone. <laughs> I can't stop you, Midflow. I'm sorry. It's too good. It's too good. But yeah, tell me, I mean... They seem such simple things when you put them on paper, even in your crude paint. I mean, you didn't even ask for my Photoshop <laughs> expertise, but uh, what, why is it so important that the UX and UI is, is, is improved on FI? So I definitely love to get, get into this, but I think the best way to approach it is maybe 
to ask you first. So, so the thing for me is, what is Football Index to you? You know, give me give me one sentence on what Football Index is. Bloody hell, you've put me on the spot here. Um, (laughs) Trading footballers based on their potential future um, careers and earnings. Okay, so how do I do that? How do you do that? Yeah. Um, You you buy the players and you hold them. Yeah, (laughs) nice. That's that's fair. So like, why? Why should I care about any of that? Why should I put my money into this? Um, Because it's a revolutionary way to gamble and the returns are extremely good in comparison to other gambling or alternative asset classes. Cool. So... I think those are really fair answers and it almost doesn't matter if they're right or wrong. There probably isn't a right or wrong. But I think if, if I don't already, and again, like, don't get me wrong, you know, this is sitting on Twitter and doing a little paint mock-up is really flipping easy. Yeah. It looks clever, but the, like you say, you know, this is part of my job and I do that at work and then literally 20 other people do a much better job and do most of the work. And I end up writing a big document about it. It's It's a collaborative team thing. If I was at FI and they don't have those things stuck on a wall somewhere, I'd really want to know why. They need to know, and I think we've kind of seen this a bit in the past, right? What their product actually is. It's like, what are they trying to deliver to us? How are they trying to deliver it? And how are we interacting with it? And then why? And that's the really important one. Why should I care? There are so many things out there and I have so little money. You know, even even some of our wealthier people on FI and even the wealthier people we maybe would like to attract in the future, they have so little money in the grand scheme of things and there's so much to do with that money. So why should I put it in this thing? And I think those are the questions you need to answer at every single thing you do. And the easiest way to do that, and when I say easiest, I mean both low effort, you know, for my little paint job on Twitter and also in terms of implementing it, but sometimes some of the highest impact stuff is just removing those barriers for the user. And considering... I think obviously, you know, I'm I'm in the games industry, so maybe I'll think of it more of a of a game than you know a, a betting a betting company or a a product or whatever. So when we're when we're doing football manager, you know, we need to think about what the what the core loops are and what the game loops are when we're designing either the whole game or a feature. So when you're playing football manager, effectively it's all about the match, right? Whatever I'm whatever I'm doing, I want to win on match day. Everything I'm doing, that is my end goal. So everything in the need, in the game needs to eventually funnel you back there. And we're kind of a bit untraditional in that sense because you can spend the whole of preseason, you know, you can give you can give friendlies to your assistant manager, you can only do transfers and you can not see a match for literally hours and hours in real life. But eventually it's all about how you do in a match. So whether it's immediately or over time, all of our game needs to funnel you towards the match and you need to see your decisions either being rewarded in the match or failing but hopefully with feedback on why you failed a football index is much more immediate than that but the the thing i put on twitter and i think someone else immediately uh, was it was it walker fi yes. immediately made it look a load better but <laughs> it, it, it almost doesn't matter how it looks it's the fact that when i'm watching football so actually as we talk now i've got everton on in the background because i'm interested now hammers and friends do um Bloody and, hammers. And, and also Matthew Not James. Matthew James, yeah. <laughs> um, but so I want to see right now, what does this mean to me? So I go on I go on Football Index, I open the Match Day tab, which is already two clicks. So I go on Football Index and the first thing I see is, if I open it now and just click on the tab at the top, I see the increase list in the top 200, which is actually not bad, right? So 
that's the information they want to push to me because it's a positive thing. And maybe it's information I want as well as easy. I want to know who's doing well. But then when I'm watching a match, actually what I want, and maybe, you know, on match days, maybe they change the home tab. Of course, there's different questions there, but I go on the match day tab. It says live next to it, so that's all good. And I see a bunch of names and a bunch of scores. But I don't know what that means. Like, we're talking right now, Michael Keane is on 168. Watching the match, okay, Michael Keane has scored a goal. I don't think he's been the best player on the pitch. I think the reason he's top is because he's got a game-winning goal. To me, it looks like Hammers maybe has been the best player on the pitch. And he's second. But I need to know that information. So part of the little mock-up I put together was actually, hover, if you hover over that score or you click on that score, whatever it is, I need to know what that score means to me. But then even more important than that, why should I care? Why should I care that Michael Keane is top? Oh, because actually he could earn me 14p and then another 14p right now, right today. So why not have that information immediately available to me? That is, That is the why someone should care. And I think something that you often look at in games, and obviously a lot of games, you know, look at the last of us recently it's almost more of a film but you shouldn't need outside information so you know your content is amazing for fi but if you disappeared tomorrow if you made your money and went to panama as you uh, as you joke about in the discord <laughs> fi should survive so if they're relying on someone like you to be bringing in that that content to educate educating users even something simple like i don't actually know where the dividend table is on their website I looked in the academy and I think it might be the old one. And I understand they've got different priorities. But as a new user, or even as an experienced user, I don't care about the mechanics immediately. I care about that thing that's right in front of me and the sort of what, how and why of what the product is. Then I'll understand the mechanics. And if the mechanics are solid, in theory, I never need to know. So, you know, there are some super, super smart um, users on FI who, of course, want to go right into all the mechanics and, for want of a better phrase, exploit them to their advantage. But realistically the the median user shouldn't have to learn the mechanics that well as long as what they see in front of them is logical and the actions they take they get feedback on and they know how it's working and why and how they can benefit from it and when they get it wrong why they're getting it wrong and that's kind of the information i don't see on the website or the app at the moment and even i mentioned the, mentioned the app i think was it done well mentioned the buy and sell buttons are the other way around yeah. which is incredible i don't know well, I do know how you do that. Two different people built it. So fair, <laughs> fair enough. But why has that happened? It's such an easy thing to get right. And when FI have their big list of problems, of course, it is right at the bottom of the list and fair enough. But to a new user, it actually looks, you could literally sell a player when you mean to buy them, which is insane. That could stop you ever using FI ever again. Yeah, I think there's there's just so much to do there, isn't there? Like there is so much scope and potential to improve the UI and, and UX that inadvertently helps traders right um it's uh it's a really interesting proposition there and i mean things like on sunday night when you know when prices were falling unfortunately i want that information in front of me and i want to be able to react you know if i'm calm i want to be able to react quickly and logically so even things like the buy and sell button and i understand of course why there's several layers to that and you need to confirm things and it gives you the information but i think i know you can fiddle with some of your settings but i think by default when you place an offer the max offer button is in the middle when you place a bid, the max bid uh, button is on the right. <laughs> so even my muscle memory, I am likely to make a mistake, which is, I'm going to assume that's quite easy to fix. I don't know that. Of course, I don't know that. I don't work there. But maybe the reason it's not easy to fix is because the person who's responsible for that is very busy fixing the underlying mechanics, which is absolutely fair enough, but that probably shouldn't be the same person. There should be two people doing that. I think silly little things like that, which seem seem unimportant, actually add up to 
an, an ideal experience, which is really, really important for us. Even condensing things like, and this isn't a particularly well thought out idea, there are absolutely reasons why you do this differently, but condensing the buy and sell button into a quick buy and a quick sell, which if I click it and choose an amount, say immediately gives me the average price of that amount there and then. If I want to go into actually picking a precise price, looking at market depth, making sure I get the best offer um, that's out there, maybe then there's another button that takes me to that. But for example, I think Cavett-Lewis just scored a hat trick. If I just want to buy myself some Cavett-Lewin right now, a bit like, you know, now we can set the bid above the price and that helps. Uh, sorry, yeah, yeah, the bid above the price and that helps. Maybe I just want to buy Cavett-Lewin. I almost don't care because I know in 10 minutes he's going to be more valuable. I just need to get on in quickly. There's a barrier to me doing that currently, and it just all adds up to what is possibly a less than ideal UX experience. A US experience, a UX experience, UX. Nice. <laughs> UX, not US. Yeah. Show, 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 show myself up and don't know what I'm talking about now. Right, should we actually get in some questions now? We're at an hour and 20 minutes in. Yeah, why not? Uh, LB Lee Butler, who I think you were very complimentary of off the air and, and off the air as well. Uh, Football Index now has the technology in place to have a free market where buyers and sellers set the price. There have been stabilizers put, put on the market currently for valid reasons. What steps are needed to remove these stabilizers so i guess this kind of goes back to what we've talked about a little bit before um and interested in your thoughts as well so please by all means jump in but i guess do we need them yes but should we possibly not it's unfortunate we had to in the first place but it's a decent reaction to the current situation i'm more interested in knowing what they do next it feels like maybe they have i don't know you know if how many free hits they have at this but at some point they run out of luck right I'd like to see the next time be the time they get it properly right and we don't need another reset. Um, I think, again, as we mentioned earlier, it does all trace back to back to COVID and you can't see that coming. And their reaction to that has been fair enough at first and maybe a little unideal since. We do need we do need more users for a fully mature market and maybe we, we need help from FI, we need mechanics in place until we have that. Because no matter how many shares you set that number at, you know, 300, 900, whatever, if we don't have enough liquidity around, that's always going to be overly sensitive. We need we need more sensible people than we have irrational people, effectively, for that to work. I think maybe setting it as in a percentage would really help. So the fact that the fact that Sancho's price can be affected by the exact same number of shares as, say, you know, Lucas Dean, who I'm seeing play right now, doesn't seem to make sense when one is what ten times the price. That doesn't quite seem to make sense to me. I'd rather see maybe something a little bit more flexible around that. But those, those are things we can look at in the future. I think really, and you and Panda have covered this a lot more than I'm able to hear, we possibly acted a bit early bringing in what they did. And now I think maybe we do have those stabilizers in place until we have a suitable level of liquidity and enough people in the market to be able to take them off and trust it, right? We need to grow up under FI a little bit. And some of that is on us. Yeah, and I think, I mean, I'm looking at one of the written things that you've put here and one of the things you've just said do we need them yes should we need them no um and the, the blame falls on a combination of fi and, and the community on the should we need them um but again like i think fi quickly realized that one thing doesn't fix this right like oh you up the liquidity but then oh crap well if we've got no depth then people might be in the same kind of confused situation where they don't know how much money is either side of the buy price um and and yeah and i think it's it's a reaction that's warranted, um, but in an ideal world, not needed. But FI have kind of realized that they've bitten off more they can chew in terms of, uh, you know, implementing 
a system that essentially wasn't fit for purpose for the community and, and customers that they have at, at large. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, I think market depth is a key part of this. I think no matter how you choose to bet and trade in our market and no matter what they put in place, more visibility, more transparency linked to the UX thing is important for me when I'm deciding what to do with my money and what to do with my shares. So, you know, if I only see one price on Sancho, I've kind of only got one decision to make. If I see several prices, I've got more information and more decisions. And the way I like to use FI anyway, as well as the sort of operate between those spreads. So if I see someone selling a player at what I think is well undervalued and I can I can make a margin there, even even in the short term, never mind the long term, that's the game I want to play. But to do that effectively, I need more information on, is this a good price because one person has done something silly or is there maybe a trend going on? What does the depth look like? What happens if, you know, I think, was it you? You said you bought a couple of hundred shares of a player and they went up one pound. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's even though that doesn't necessarily, I say it doesn't affect you. I guess it does because you, in theory, there could immediately sell or at least offer for one pound fifty profit after after commission, uh, sorry before uh, before commission. So even though you might not act like that, knowing that if I'm the one that buys those shares, I kind of in theory the next person who wants to buy has got a a, a lesser bet if you like. There's a smaller smaller opportunity, a slightly higher risk. That's all good information for which I can make my decision. I just it, it just baffled me right and that's when I kind of put in the discord I think at the time it was very late on that Sunday night I was like gents I've just bought 150 features of a player and they've gone up a quid I think it's even thinner than I'd first thought and there was a lot of people that were kind of um cautious on that and understandably didn't want to buy and stuff and I wasn't saying buy I was just saying don't panic because there are very few sales here happening um and I, I think, think the, the message you were putting out was very much like no action might be better than action here or yeah. at least consider you know take the time before you press that sell button take the time to think what you're doing yeah yeah exactly exactly we, we've got a question here from aaron palace uh as somebody that seems to appear to take advantage of a large of large market dips how many more do you envisage happening before we can trade on football knowledge <laughs> um should we say one right now quickly some of your players please um realistically of course we don't know and in a healthy market there should be dips there should be there should be periods of boom and periods of bust because i mean even in a market that doesn't have cycles like and this is this is a good point where i think maybe something will come onto a little bit later or even now where it's a betting product that sort of models itself after a market but the thing we're betting on isn't anything like taking shares in a company both in the literal mechanic but also in the thing you're taking i'm not I am not purchasing part of Sancho as an asset. I am effectively purchasing his output. I'm purchasing an opportunity to win the dividends that he will produce based on performance. He also has a limited shelf life. And I know we all know this. In fact, some people probably put even too much value in this because as soon as someone hits 30, they drop a quid, which doesn't entirely make sense because they were 29 and 364 days (laughs) a minute ago. Um, But I think... To take an example, let's say Google, of course, a company can go out of business, but at least they have a longer shelf life. And we don't, it doesn't deteriorate over time. In fact, it probably goes up over time, given everything else being equal. I can't remember who it was, but I know someone I think is on your podcast has said, you could say that every player is most valuable when they first enter the platform and then they depreciate from there because their potential dividends effectively go down, right? For that, we'd need perfect knowledge, of course. And that's that's the key thing we really don't have doesn't matter how great you are at football and let's assume the best people at football 
are hired by football clubs, how often do they get transfers wrong? How often do they get team selections wrong? And that's just what a one day bet or a one season bet. We're taking three year bets here. So we're absolutely going to get stuff wrong and we need a lot of information to make sure we make the best decision we can there. So when I get something wrong, I'm going to maybe try and get out of that at a small loss, maybe even a big loss. If lots of people do that once, of course, there's going to be a dip. But then that presents an opportunity for someone else. And I guess this is maybe where I like to try and operate. People definitely act emotionally and there's not necessarily anything wrong with that. But when it comes to a market, it might not be the best approach. You look at... um, I guess COVID, you know, we've just had Black Sunday, but the Black Thursday, I got I got a bit lucky there as well. So I I observed through that week prices kind of dipping. And then on that Thursday is when I chose to go in. And it is complete and utter luck that that happened to be the bottom. There's no skill involved in that at all. I just waited and got lucky. As I, you know, as people say all the time, only one person can get the bottom and only one person can get the top. If anything, it's often better to be second to both of those things because you have slightly more information and you maybe know where it is. So I, I went into actually Sancho because back then was he, I know this was obviously before we could, uh, before we could take on people's, uh, people's sales, were people selling him for something like seven pound or six pound? And I know a lot of people said, that's ridiculous. I would take that if I could. Well, funnily enough, Black Sunday maybe showed that people wouldn't have done or they wouldn't until they'd panicked first or, you know, because that happened again. Effectively, it happened again. And you could take on those bets. And some people did. Some people still haven't. And of course, it's on FI to make sure we have the mechanics in place to do that properly. But I think when someone when someone like Sancho falls to that price and I, I fortunately had the money available to do it, I don't tend to. I know a lot of people maybe put money in, say, once a month or something like that. I I definitely don't do that. I don't put money in until I see an opportunity. So I'm not constantly, I'm not even reinvesting dividends unless I see an opportunity. Because if I've made a decision to buy a player, I've made that decision there and then based on the opportunity, the risk, the affordability from my point of view. If I'm going back into them a week later with no new information, that by definition isn't an optimal decision. If there's new information, then absolutely everything can change. So the new information, I guess, around COVID was... Is football index over as a proposition? Are they going to go bust? And that is, there is a chance that happens. But as soon as it becomes clear that it isn't going to happen, and you saw that, you know, maybe maybe one good way it is useful to compare to the stock market world is just the way people to react to stuff. You could see people overselling, you know, markets in real life and people overselling in the pretend world of football index. Both of those things were probably too pessimistic and certain things bounced back. The things that bounced back were the ones that had the highest underlying value, the best intrinsic value, the best short, medium and term, uh, long term prospects. And I don't think I owned a single Sancho before that day. And then he basically became my largest holding. It just see, it just seemed the most reasonable bet to make at the time, given the fact that I could afford to make that bet. Of course, if I couldn't afford to make that bet, I wouldn't have done. Yeah. Yeah. And I was just about to ask you on that and, and pick up on that. Like, what would your advice be to people who want to potentially take advantage of dips in the future i think you see there's an awful lot of smart people and a lot a lot of people are much smarter than me so go listen to the previous podcasts (laughs) but um i think a lot of people it's the thinking fast and slow thing again which is a book everyone should read i think people think they're learning when they're not maybe so or you sort of so let's look at say pandas um or pogba as i'll try and not call him um (laughs) Pandas, Pandas bet on Sanjay. 
Firstly, I know a lot of people like to say, oh, Panda made that when he was £7, therefore oh, it's very easy. Well, he was still buying him the other day. The reason he does that is he's worked out it is for his situation as well. And it's important to consider how much money you've got available. You know, For, for Panda to to make the moves he wants, he probably can't go and get into a 50p player because he'd be the only person owning them. <laughs> so who's he going to sell to? I think that's what people don't understand, right? It's like... I've seen some people say crazy things like, oh, well, you should have bought, you could have bought, you could have had a better percentage rise on this AEP player. And it's like, well, yeah, but then I'd have risen him 30p. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and I think, so when people listen to Panda and they listen to, I think Lee gave an amazing yeah. breakdown of his Sancho valuation. But people listen to that and what they take from it is, oh, Sancho's good, I'll buy him. What you should take from it is a really smart person here has told you how to work out value. Do you agree with them or not? If you do, go do your own calculation. If you don't, work out your own valuation. The thing not to take from it is Panda says. Because if you're trusting Panda to be a super smart guy who is making a smart bet, the one thing Panda isn't doing is doing what Panda says. Because that he's the only person in the world who can't. He has to make that decision for himself up front. So everyone who's just copying him, in, by definition, is not doing what he's telling you to do. So you're not copying the smartest, smartest person. You're doing a silly thing. And I really think, so going forward and in, in taking, you know, taking advantage of dips, you need to have the most important thing on FI is to have a valuation of a player. Doesn't, it almost doesn't matter. Hopefully you improve this over time, but it doesn't matter how accurate it is as long as you know how you're working it out and can refine that over time and learn from your mistakes. So things like, you know, COVID, of course, I absolutely took a gamble. I was in a position to do so, which was fortunate. Um, and for the record as well, I have a low five-figure portfolio. So when I say I put 50% in... You didn't um, go absolutely COVID, insane. Yeah, I, <laughs> I I can pay my bills. I can pay my rent. Um, you know, I we can pay a house deposit in the future. The difference this might make is if I can buy a nice sofa for that house or something, you know, which is fine. I can live without that, which is the definition of how you should treat this product. Absolutely. I think once I could afford to do that, it was then a case of going, OK, how do I value these players? Is there an opportunity? Yes. And then so I just applied that same logic this last Sunday. So, again, is FI ending? No. Can I afford it? Yes. Obviously, a much smaller amount this time. It was about 10 percent. Um, is there an opportunity here? Yes, there is. There might not have been an opportunity because. You know, the next dip might be because people have overvalued players. So we saw, um, was it, it was back this time last year, wasn't it, where the PB, PB table was updated and we had a dividend review as well. And suddenly we had a lot of PB players go from not worth that, well, not costing that much, but with high value to some of them possibly being overvalued. And if you look at the graphs, I think a good one is Luis Alberto. Not saying he's a good or bad buy. He's just a good example in the past. You saw him probably double in price and then cut back, come back down to probably the price he was to begin with. So he probably went from undervalued to overvalued to maybe undervalued again. The truth is obviously somewhere in the middle. And so when you when you see that dip on Luis Alberto the second time round, you might go, oh, amazing, a dip. I can buy that. But that would be an example of learning the wrong lesson. The lesson, the lesson to learn is why is the dip happening and where is the value? So if Luis Alberto is dipping, where is the money going from there? And maybe those are the things to buy. And that was because new information was available. Effectively, well, I guess I say new information. Luis Alberto was the same player, but the information now was he's no longer necessarily returning the same value. Therefore, I should get out of this at a good price and move on elsewhere. With something like um, Black Sunday, as it's being called, there was no new footballing information. All of the players were exactly as good as they were before. Even with Neymar's red car, which I think is a couple of games now, plus a, plus a uh, suspended one-game ban, 
well, he didn't stop playing football. Yes, you maybe missed out on some IPDs, but was that actually worth £2 or whatever he dropped? It absolutely wasn't. Therefore, he has become more valuable to me and will and will produce a better yield. So that's something I'm interested in getting involved in. Mm, mm. Yeah, I, I think you've explained your, your reasoning, your logic there really well. And um, yeah, the, the valuation standpoint is, is really important. Um, I mean, quick question before we move on to uh, Aaron's second part of this question. How important is, you know, valuing a player at this moment in time? I think it's the most important thing. Um, I'd, ha- I'd be happy for someone to tell me different. Um, I, I can't remember if I mentioned earlier or not, but I think I'd probably consider myself very much in the middle of all our users. You know, I, I think I'm I think I'm better than maybe the I say better. That's absolutely the wrong word. I think I'm maybe a bit calmer and maybe a bit more knowledgeable than some of our more casual users but i'm definitely not as knowledgeable as um some of the guys right at the top end so i'm absolutely interested in learning myself but for me at this moment in time i think knowing how to value a player and actually having a value on a player knowing why you hold a player is the most important thing i think the best analogy i can have for that is both for your portfolio as a whole and as individual players if you can't turn around to your mum or your partner and say i have x amount of pounds in this platform and x amount of that is in this player without feeling embarrassed or like you have to keep it a secret you have too much money in because you know these are in theory that your partner is the person you trust most in the world um on that on that thursday during covid uh my my girlfriend was the person i spoke to i said look you know i have money in this platform um this is what's happening you know the world is ending in theory or is it actually ending? Do you think it's a smart decision for me to try and take advantage of this? And we discussed it. And I don't think she said yes or no. She probably couldn't because she doesn't know the platform that well. But the fact that I can just talk out loud and hear, even just hear myself saying it, am I embarrassed to say this? If I'm not, if I'm not being honest with her, I'm clearly hiding something and therefore I'm either overexposed or I'm making bad decisions and therefore I should re- reconsider my position. And I, I really can't state how important I think that is. You see people joke, you know, on Twitter and uh, in various places about, you know, oh, I can't tell my wife how much I have in Football Index. And OK, if that's a joke, fair enough. If they're telling the truth, I'm really worried for those people. Yeah, I, I think we saw people think more emotionally when you're overexposed or like when you don't, when you can't, because like the overexposure thing is, is quite subjective, isn't it? Right. You've just described it as um, maybe having a, a mid tier sofa rather than a top tier sofa at the house that you're going to buy in the future. Someone else might subjectively turn around and say, well, this is what I feel comfortable with. And it might be more aggressive or more cautious than you. But as long as you have that kind of firm understanding of what is affordable to yourself, it's so much easier to make non-emotional decisions. Um, and I think people really need to digest and understand that. I think we probably go into economic theory there where it's, okay, what is my what is my absolute base level that I can survive on? Obviously for a society, you know, food, shelter, healthcare, et cetera, education. Uh, and by all means, that's not what we're saying, right? <laughs> no, but I think, you know, yeah. Thank you for thank you for clarifying that. Absolutely. But I think, you know, you take that as your base level in life, right? And then what you do is you scale up from there and go, Okay, where am I happy? Where am I comfortable? I think it's probably that is the minimum line. And like you say, that changes for everyone. You know, if I want to, I currently live in London. Um, If I want to buy a house in London, that's a very different price to buying a house in Leeds, for example. So I, by definition, have a different amount of disposable income. And then what I choose to do with my disposable income is fine. I think think there might be a question later, um, which links quite well to this one, is I've... 
I have literally never placed a traditional proper bet before Football Index. Let's let's park that. Let's park that and okay, get to yep, that. Fair enough, we've got, fair enough, Aaron's fair got enough. another question about FM that I'd want you to quickly go through. Was it yourself who predicted the uh, Noan Kenny's career path, or is there more than one researcher for Leeds? Uh, yeah, so that that was me. Um, but we obviously have systems in place to make sure I don't do anything too silly. Um, I'm the researcher for Leeds United, but there's a head researcher for, depending on the size of the league or nation for different uh, sizes of competition, there's a head researcher for the EFL and a head researcher for the top level in England. Obviously now, uh, gloriously, I've passed over to the top level head researcher, but I submit my research to them and they check it, they modify it. They're the ones that actually then check it into the game for when we release stuff. And then even when it goes into the game, there's a load of stuff in there that'll check things. Obviously we've got QA on the human side, but there's loads of automatic processes as well. Um, if, you know, if I'm making, I think I said Patrick Bamford earlier, if I give him 20 finishing, it's immediately gonna jump out as that means he's, you know, as, as we're rating players, you think he is all else being equal, the best or equal to the best finishes in the world or something he immediately jumps out there as being wrong so yeah if i give noah kenner too much of a potential someone will highlight it to me we'll have that conversation and i basically have to justify my position justify my position um yeah it's i'd say it's it's subjective with a healthy dose of a healthy dose of objectivity put in there mm, awesome question here from sinister mihailovic has your knowledge on football manager helped you to better determine a player's value on football index what did you jump in why did you jump in so heavily now and not before uh, looking forward to it um i guess football uh, football manager definitely helped on football index early on especially um just with knowledge of players but possibly as it goes on i guess this touches back on the ipo question earlier possibly isn't as much of a help now and if anything could almost be a hindrance because there's a very big difference between a good football index player a good football manager player and a good real life player i think one of the good examples that no one would argue with is N'Golo Kante he's was is amazing in real life is absolutely terrible on fantasy football for example and realistically probably isn't going to return you too much on football index depends how you value his future if you see a big transfer coming a lot of media fair enough but there are players that aren't the same across those platforms and in an ideal world of course they'd all be the same you know the uh, the pb scoring matrix on football index would perfectly reflect real life but it doesn't and it possibly never will you know, i think you had a great podcast a little while ago about people trying to do that and realistically coming up short giving it a really good bash but coming up short i don't think we're ever going to perfectly describe the nuances of football with a performance index on which I can bet on outcomes. But what we can do is get close. And then I've got I've got a rule set. So if I've got a rule set, I can then make my decisions based on that. And the important thing is to separate real life football knowledge and football manager knowledge from football index knowledge. If the two overlap, absolutely it's useful. But sometimes it can lead you down blind alleys, I think. Mm. Yeah, for sure. I think people talk about that with FPL a lot, right? Like the Kante example is really good um, on an FPL as well. It's like not everyone who's good on FPL is, is good for FI. Um, so I think people need to start. Again, it's that theory of value and that thesis that you create um, based on FI specifically. Yeah, absolutely. We've got a question here from Dazzler FI on Twitter. Been discussed plenty, but what are your thoughts on FI having an FM style database? So, like this has been kind of thrown about a lot like you know instead of fi having to ipo a load of players every year when a player makes like a reserve team squad or whatever like would you be in favor of them just having everyone who's age 60 15 16 and above again with um with maybe special permissions like you had odegaard 
in the future or is that a bit too much to ask i think it would be both amazing and disastrous <laughs> so we, we touched on that a little bit already but we're maybe a little bit behind with ipos you know there is there are too many people waiting for certain players to be released and therefore completely naturally demand on those is going to outstrip what possible logical value uh, determines those players are worth simply because you know it's the reason people announce films a year six months before they're out there's a reason there's a reason promos exist right to hype you up for stuff obviously fi aren't doing that and fair enough they probably shouldn't do that but we're doing it ourselves you know we know these great players these great young players are doing things in real life and thus we're hyping them up in our head so if you suddenly released all those onto the market i think potentially the most popular ones would become oversaturated and then maybe there's opportunities but potentially unideal opportunities in the in the less popular ones where they become completely undervalued also it is is it actually healthy for the platform to what if you're introducing every single every single player that's eligible for pb and could be eligible for pb say in the next three years so in academies and things like that you probably conservatively triple the size of our database if not much more on football index well unless you also triple the uh, the amount of money in there something's got to go down for other things to go up and i'm not sure that's the right thing we want to happen right now yeah yeah for sure um i actually do think that ipos are massively important i, I tell the story all the time um worked with the the guy uh for about two years french guy big marseille fan uh loves football we were we sat next to each other at desk we were like you know really good friends at work and uh he knew about fig knew about fi and I told him about FI, explained it, et cetera, like a couple of lunches. I was just explaining it to him on a very base surface level. And I remember him messaging me one evening being like, oh man, where's X player and X player? I think it was Cherky, um, Oshish and a couple other French youngsters that he obviously had an edge on because he knew about way more than probably your average football fan or probably your average FI user. And, and he was like, oh, they're not on. Like, that's mad um i can't believe that and he was like that's kind of obviously put me off and i was like how often does that happen um you know seb like how often do leeds fans sign up and not see that many leeds players on the platform and say actually this might not be for me because it's about money of course but enjoyment as well i want to i want to buy um x y and z player that's just been promoted um and i think you know it's a really interesting thing to think about the IPOs and, and these players that are available are a massive acquisition tool. And I know a lot of people say it, well, in a thin market, it's it's not a good idea because money will come out of holes, etc. But net-net, if you can have a situation where you acquire more users because you have a larger database and people deposit more because they enjoy it and they stay on the platform of these IPOs, then I think you net out at a positive rather than a negative. I think, I think that's fair enough. I think like everything maybe there's a happy medium so like you say the what, what's their i don't know what the tagline is but you know making money from your football knowledge is certainly what they're going for we were talking earlier about the what how why the thing that interests a lot of people in this a bit like football manager is you want to be the first to that best player so the thing i enjoy about football manager when i'm playing it is not the real players it's the new gens the made-up ones that come in afterwards to you know replace older players uh, to replace retired players because I enjoy taking that player that, okay, in a football manager context, literally exists for no one else ever before, but they're very much mine. I discover them, I develop them, I reap those rewards. In Football Index, yeah, you want to be that guy who comes in and goes, you know what, I lived in 
another country when I was younger or something, and I know this thing about that league that someone else doesn't know, and thus I can profit off that. There's absolutely a little a little bit of a diamond there. That's probably a big part of their USP. But I think I think you'd have to think very long and hard about how you introduce that. And do you prioritize that, or do you prioritize the fact that a bit like what we were talking about earlier, you watch a team play. And there are four of their players on the index. And and the winner, the guy who scores a hat-trick, isn't on the index. That's a bad look, so you need to IPO that player. But likewise, you want to IPO the opportunity for the new person to come in and be successful. And even someone not to be successful. If I, you mentioned Leeds fans, I don't know how many of our players are good bets, just through the function of, you know, the type of team we are and, and how we're quite well known. So if we do have a good player, it's probably known to a lot of people. But... When I first start, maybe that is my edge. The, f- the very first player I ever bought myself was Ronaldo Vieira of Leeds. I bought him for about 40p and sold him for 50p. I banked my, I think it was about £5 or something, and was very happy. Obviously, in the grand scheme of things, that means very little. The reason I did that, though, is because that's what I knew. I knew Leeds, and it was a good way of just introducing myself to the mechanics of the platform and learning how things work. So, yeah, there's definitely an upside and a downside to that, and I wonder if... Again, I wonder if it's one of those without COVID, maybe we'd be further along that path. Clearly, the decision they've taken is the IPO mechanic under the old system wasn't fit for purpose. So don't keep pushing that, which is fair enough. Maybe we'd have a new one. Maybe we would have had a new one during the summer if we hadn't had COVID and thus could have brought in players. A good time to bring those players in is maybe the downtime of the summer so that you can you know, set up portfolios correctly for the, the oncoming season. Maybe if you were... If you were being a little facetious, a great time to do it would have been during COVID itself, where <laughs> in theory, people couldn't get out of existing holds. So if you wanted to buy a new player, you had to put new money in. I don't think that would have been a responsible decision, and I'm pleased they didn't do it. But that's almost the ideal way to maintain the platform and introduce new players. So what's the closest thing to that? We probably need new money to come in. So I think maybe you tie it with this big marketing push we've got. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. Um and we can kind of look at how that affects um, the market in the future when it comes to IPOs. But I think that system has to be correct. It has to be a responsible decision from FI in, in the kind of COVID situation that we're in. Um, but above all, the longer you leave it, the more silly it looks. I think they do need to they need to get that sorted soon, I think. A, val- a valid approach, not necessarily recommending it, but a valid approach might be just go, ah, screw it, and just dump massive of IPOs basically as as the question suggested, because while it would probably take money out of existing players, I know exactly what I would do, because the value of those players hasn't changed. Um, obviously, obviously there is more competition, but do I think that Rayner is competition for Sancho right now? No, probably not. The dividends remain where they are, so maybe there are opportunities there, and maybe that's something that, like you said, net-net in the future isn't a terrible thing. Maybe you just rip that plaster off. Hmm. Uh, got a question here from index notes who did a fantastic webinar for the fig patreon on media and how it might change uh, most underrated player attribute on fm and on football index um so attribute taking in the literal sense in fm so the attributes you obviously see on screen for a for a player personally while i love physicals and i think everyone does uh in that lemington save my team was ridiculously physical just through the way it fell really um but i think the underrated ones people don't really pay enough attention to is anticipation and decisions possibly that's partly a bit of real life you know that's actually something it's very easy to see that someone's quick 
it's possibly harder to see they have good anticipation, partly because of how, you know, TV cameras work. We follow the ball. We don't necessarily see people moving off the ball and positioning themselves. I think one of the biggest contrasts with watching a live match in person and watching one on TV is you've really noticed the shape of teams and who is good off the ball and who is seeing things that the cameras don't pick up. And maybe that translates into a lack of knowledge on you know, the gaming side and football manager and stuff. And also just quite simply how they work in the game. If you think about anything a player does on a pitch, you're pretty much always making a decision and you're mostly always anticipating what's about to happen. And I know I know for a fact those are used in the match engine. And uh, if you look at all the good players in Football Manager, it's very rare to have someone with both high anticipation and decisions unless they're an absolutely world-class player. So with all that information, I would say anticipation and decisions, if I can say those words. Um, and then, yeah, on um, on the FI side, I guess the best way to look at that is maybe what are the things that contribute towards a player being good value, as opposed to, I know, we joked about blonde hair earlier and things like that, which maybe that is good for media. I don't know. I kind of steer away from media myself. I think it's, while it's predictable in the very short term, I think it's very unpredictable in the long term and people are far too optimistic over it. If you look at, you know, you look at whoever Man United sign, there's a lot at the time and then actually holding on to that in the future. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. I don't know if I can predict that. So I prefer to go on the PB side myself. And therefore, so when I'm valuing a player, I guess the attributes, if you like, the stats that I look at are what make a what make a player valuable to me in that sense. And so I think on the on the sheet we've got here, Fig, I've put some things from my spreadsheet that I've got. Um, I use my spreadsheet as much for tracking my portfolio as knowing why I hold specific players and what I would do if they were a certain price. Um, so I have a load of like little tabs that tell me these are my PB players, but not just my PB players, these are my PB players for these reasons and stuff. So obviously people look at PB scores and through some great research done on Twitter, we know that things like, you know, 230 for defensive players, 250 for offensive players, very much give or take, of course, is maybe a solid score that gives you a good chance of winning on any given day. I think it's important to say any given day as well, because you look at last night, um, it was a bronze day with Bayern and Leon playing. It almost doesn't matter who won last night. It matters more what their score was and what the underlying stats were that built that score, because it's pure coincidence that they were on a bronze day. If that was on a gold day like today, we don't know if those players would win. So you have to look at the percentage chance of it. I'd say the gold day is the safest bet for looking at the percentage chance of winning. And if you wanted to be really smart, you maybe then look at who's going to be on TV and you could build that in as well and think, OK, well, Monday night football in England is a thing and not elsewhere. And the non-European teams often play on Monday nights. Therefore, they've got a better chance of winning a bronze day. But you're probably at risk of being too clever there. So I think taking a taking a nice PB score is a good start. But really, for me, PB scores are kind of outcome trading. And I try and stay away from that. I want to be there first. And I sometimes want to be off first as well. I don't want to trade a bit like fancy football. Cavett Learns just caught a hat trick. He's not in my team. If I put him in my team now, I am putting him in my team because he's caught a hat trick. I clearly didn't think it was a good idea beforehand. He had two shots last week. So why is that changed now? If I look at the underlying stats and there's loads of new information, fair enough. If there isn't, I think that's a bad move in fantasy football and it would be a bad move on FI. So I think the stats are the things to look at. So what I've listed here is very much on an average, the kind of things I look at for a player trying to value them just for me. Other people might tell you different, and that's absolutely worth listening to. Build your own valuations of players. 
But the things that really build a score on FI, and this maybe goes back to our UX discussion as well, it's actually quite hard to see how that score is built, and thus it's quite hard to build this value for yourself. I think that's information that needs to be available as soon as those scores are coming in. But what's an, what tends to contribute to them the absolute most is goals. So all else being equal, of course I want goals. But goals are often quite luck-based. So what builds goals? Well, shots on targets, shots on targets, shots on target, um, XG, shots in general, things like that. And then, of course, player quality comes into it. So, you know, someone like Harry Kane, who consistently will overperform his XG, that probably isn't because he's lucky, it's because he's a really good finisher. But you can take all those things into account and probably build a decent profile of a player and thus pull out some really key attributes. So I'd say the ones for me and the ones that seem to work for when I'm trying to value a player are goal threat and general involvement in play. And those build the two things that people talk about a lot on FI, which is base score and peak score. And both those things are important, of course. To have any chance of winning, you need to be able to hit a peak score. If you can't hit a high score on any given day, you're never going to win. And then how consistently you hit that or how consistently the sentiment will be on your side is maybe the base score. And I think the two things that contribute to that most, like I've said, is threat and uh, and involvement in play. How you define involvement is up to you. For me, touches, passes, crosses, key passes are really important. And then there's a compound effect. If I'm going to get an assist from a cross that is defined as a key pass, which is something, say, for example, Kevin De Bruyne does a lot, I'm going to get a lot more points for that single action than someone who just slings in useless crosses from nowhere. Um, and you see that a lot on goals, right? You can score a goal, which I think a goal is worth 45, correct me if I'm wrong. But um, a game-winning goal obviously adds 20, 25 to that, I think, off the top of my head. But obviously every goal is, in theory, a shot on target. And every shot on target is a shot, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So you can build those things up and look at what are going to have the biggest swings on the matrix. And I would say those are the things you want to highlight as your key attributes. Just before we move into the second half of the show, I mean, I say second half, we've already been recording for like an hour, 30 minutes. Uh, today's episode is brought to you by The Athletic. The Athletic is a subscription-based sports news site delivering in-depth sports coverage featuring football reporters you know and love like David Ornstein, James Pierce, Sam Lee and Rafa Honigstein. The Athletic is telling stories you won't find anywhere else. No ads or clickbait, just great sports writing for 40% off your annual subscription to the best sports writing around. Go to athletic.co.uk slash fig and they're being added to the media uh, on FI. So I think you've got to go for it, don't you? Two ninety nine. If you go for their annual deal, uh, things that cost you more than two ninety nine. Um, Seb, one literally one visit to my gym is ten times that much, which is ridiculous. Ten times. That's, yeah, London, isn't it? What you pay thirty pounds every time you go to the gym? Well, so um, obviously, if I take a membership out, then I pay less than that. But with uh, with COVID, it shut down, and then. Um, I bought a load of I bought a load of equipment for home, like I'm sure a load of people did. Um, and then I've so I've gone back um, because the equipment at home, like you know, I, I've got some like 30 kg dumbbells, which are which are okay, but really aren't good for what I used to be doing. So I went back to the gym for a little bit, but because of being unsure how long they'd be open for or whatever, I did it like on a weekly basis for a little while, and it worked out at literally something like I think it was. I think it might have literally come out at about twenty nine ninety five a day or something. That stupid. is stupid. But, um, you know, yeah, London thirty kg um, thirty kg dumbbells. You might be as uh, wide as you are tall then. <laughs> <laughs> not not very tall, mate. So not that hard, yeah. 
<laughs> right, we've got a question here from the FI scientists. What are your opinions on a deposit bonus? I feel it doesn't reward the customers who have deposited over these turbulent months and could be holding back the market with people waiting in anticipation. How, if in any way, can they reward loyal customers who can't always afford to deposit? So on that last bit, or again, as we mentioned throughout this podcast, always only afford uh, deposit what you can afford to lose. Like literally imagine if that's money that you would be comfortable with losing tomorrow but in terms of the loyal customers standpoint here um seb people that have backed this platform through thick and thin and not kind of flip-flopped and left and come back and left and come back and by all means there are many people that have done that for very valid reasons financial changes stopped enjoying the product blah 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 but the people that have you know that if i can see have been actively trading and, and depositing and buying um for the last uh you know year two years three years four years is there should there be a situation there where they're rewarded? I think this was discussed a bit in the Discord at the time, which is possibly a good a good indication of people's feelings. Because what you know, after that first reaction of "Oh no, it's all dying," once we once we chilled out as a group and we knew it wasn't dying, then everyone's first inclination was, "How can they help me fix this? You know, how can Football Index fix this almost for me?" If I'm being a little bit harsh, a deposit bonus is very much you know an outside influence to either prop up or push a market market onwards, right? I think ultimately, beyond saying you know new customer offers, we don't want this stuff. We want, again, to quote Panda, I want to trade footballers, not announcements. I don't want to trade for a deposit bonus. I want to trade for the value that is in the bets I'm placing because I also can't anticipate deposit bonuses as easily as I can hopefully anticipate, you know, people scoring goals. So it's actually even not that a reliable way of doing it. I think as well, it might be another one of those, okay, thanks for the deposit bonus. You've pumped up my numbers on the screen that mean absolutely nothing. And then as soon as it's over, do those people take their money out again? Do we then, do we then, you know, it's learned behavior. Do we then Pavlov ourselves and go, oh good, a market dip. That means they're going to give me free money, which is a terrible, terrible thing to learn. So unless... Unless on their side they've worked out, you know, maybe they have one planned for the birthday or whatever like that. And if they market it around new users and a celebration, yeah, maybe it's a thing. But as a response to this situation, I wouldn't do it. Maybe maybe smarter people than me, maybe FI themselves would have their own reasons, but it doesn't feel like the right reaction. And I don't think it's the reaction they're going to take, right? Because they took, they spoke to us on Monday and then they took a solid four days, I think, to put something else out. That says they're sitting down, talking, you know, they've got responsibilities to their own incomes, to any shares that are held in their company, to their board. They were probably having those conversations, but I'm really pleased that they had those conversations and reacted calmly and proportionately. To me, that doesn't suggest that they're going to artificially influence the market unless they really have to. And I guess they went for the stabilize approach as opposed to pumping it with a deposit bonus yeah and I, and I think you know when people are looking to sell that deposit bonus doesn't really have the same effect does it exactly. uh, got a question here from the discord from old man fi uh, everything seemed to be trending positively leading up to order books and we saw that has happened what has happened since based on the events of the last week what are your projections moving forward we saw tweets prior to the implementation talking about 20 pound plus players by the time next year is that still possible I think, firstly, on that, um, on everything trending positively, I guess depends how you define that. Because, as uh, as you and Panda have highlighted a few times, if trending positively is because you saw green on your portfolio page, that kind of means absolutely nothing, 
especially when the buy price wasn't reflecting how people were valuing players or even the sentiment. So if you were going, oh, my portfolio was worth X and now suddenly it's worth 0.8 X. Well, that's not true. It was always worth 0.8 X. Just the way you were valuing it or the way you were judging that was inaccurate. So I think something for myself, and this is only for me, I'm not saying anyone else should do this. I know Panda values his portfolio in a certain way. I, my spreadsheet that I have, I use the sell price, the absolute minimum bottom price I possibly can, because it keeps me grounded. It means that if everything goes completely wrong, I basically know what my worst case scenario is. It also means anything from there feels better. You know, if I'm trying to trick myself into into feeling good about the thing, into reacting calmly, into not panicking, anything from that very bottom price feels like a positive. And also, the reason I chose to use it over these last few months is it was probably closer to the actual value, at least what people were willing to value players at, than that blue button price, because that blue button price was possibly what people were willing to pay six months ago on some players, not what they're willing to pay now. So while some players absolutely were trending positively, I think a lot of them weren't, but it was maybe a little hard to realise that. So the initial correction we saw was probably exactly what everyone expected, right? You know, things, the on-paper profit going up because people cancelled sell queues, it then immediately coming down to where people valued players, you know, the price they were willing to pay because of the mechanics FI put in place. And then I and then I think it started falling apart a little bit because the mechanics weren't ideal. We had some strong stimulus in the uh, in the real world that caused the market to overreact. So if we're talking about £20 players, I guess if if Sancho, and the only reason I use him, everyone does, he's top of the index, it's the easiest one, we all know what we're talking about. If he was worth £20 to you yesterday, he should still be worth £20 to you today, unless you've learned new information. And I wouldn't count new information as Joe Bloggs has panicked and sold him for a quid cheaper. That's not new information to me. So whether we'll see a £20 player and how soon we'll see that, I guess depends on the amount of people we have in the platform. Hopefully that keeps going up what people value those players at. But based on the yields that you can achieve, based on the dividends, smarter people than myself have worked out what players are players are worth. You can go listen to those opinions. The reason I don't want to name it is I think you need to work it out for yourself. I I actually think I have a slightly contrary opinion on some of the most expensive players. Okay. But again, that's not something I want to... That's for me. That's not something to talk, out, talk down on You don't want to re reveal those? Well, it doesn't... I don't think... I'm happy to, but I don't know if it's helpful because it doesn't mean I don't think other people should buy them. I just don't think it works for me. So some of those players that we talked a bit about youth players earlier, and I guess there are some absolute elite youth players that we can basically say, yeah, this player is probably going to make it. But again, we're valuing them at their absolute maximum, which I think well, some people are at least. I think that can be dangerous because... I think I sent you somewhere in this a list of... I'm going to try and find it so I can read it. Yeah, yeah, you did. It was really interesting. A list of players that, at the time, you would go, these are safe, high-potential youngsters that I will pay a lot of money for. And the the weird thing is that no one, no one thinks of these players immediately, which is kind of a proof unto itself, because you've forgotten them. Jose Baxter outdid James Milner... Um, for the youngest ever Premier League goal scorer is nowhere. Johan Gorkouf was amazing, is nowhere. Theo Walcott did a bit, but imagine a 17-year-old Theo Walcott coming through now. With He's at Southampton, he's got Arsenal rumours, he probably had Man United rumours at the time, I don't remember. He had everything rumours. He, he would have been, and he looked incredible, properly incredible. And I, 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 I don't know, it was a long time ago, but I'm guessing his stats probably back that up. He's probably not far off a Sancho Price. 
and again, I do honestly think Sancho has more going for him than Theo Walcott. I'm not trying. To, I'm not trying to compare the two directly. I'm trying to be really, really careful here because I don't think that's helpful. But and also, Walcott, we had less information right then, so a lot of people would absolutely. have based there. Whereas now, like you have platforms like Y Scout where I can log in and see um, who's 17 now. You know, Cherkin, Oshish, and um, Greenwoods. Every touch that they've played in reserves and mainstream, you know, and, and professional football for the past 12 months. Whereas back then, a lot of people would have been basing their valuations of Theo Walcott and what they've seen on kind of match of the day and match of the day extra. <laughs> Absolutely. And like, and sentiment is what is a valid trading method as well. I think something people confuse when they're saying, oh, but he's a future Ballon d'Or winner. Just look at Twitter. Everyone loves him. I can't lose this bet. It's actually more important to have a value for a player when you're trading sentiment, because if not, you don't know what the sentiment is worth. If, if you're trading sentiment, you're basically saying, I'm being smart. I'm trying to out-trade other people who think this player is worth X and I know he is worth either 2X or 0.5X. Well, to know what X is, you have to have a really solid valuation yourself because you're contradicting it. So for someone like you know Theo Walcott when he came through, if I thought he had X number of dividends in him over his lifetime, and even if I don't care about lifetime, I just care about the next month or the next year, if I have that value and he is then trading above or below that, I can then act on that. You can put sentiment into that. So if I think Theo Walcott was going to be worth, just say, £5 over the course of his career, but everyone absolutely loves him, maybe I could say the sentiment is worth 1.5 that. So he's actually worth £7.50. But then maybe I know it's a slightly riskier trade because that's kind of built on, what, nothing? Feelings, which as we've proven are really fickle. I know I might need to get out of that sooner than I would another player because I'm kind of gambling on something that is less solid. And I think that's where a lot of these young players come in. And, you know, we talk about a 20 pound player and, and whether, you know, some of these players that are close to that are worth that. It depends how you, how you value them. And the one word of caution I have is I think players that people think are safe aren't safe. It doesn't mean they aren't a good bet. Sometimes the least safe bets are the best ones because by definition, they have the biggest return possible, right? But people don't seem from what and, you know, hopefully everyone who's listened to this is going to call me an idiot because they know better. And that's perfect. But from what I see on Twitter, people don't do that. People think that, you know, a 17 year old who has just scored a goal on his debut is really safe because the only way is up. And I raise you one Federico Makeda. <laughs> And, and, we, and, and it's hard it's hard to predict long term isn't it it's hard to predict a player's development and career um which is something you know the career arc thing that panda always mentions predicting that is so hard beyond like 18 months 24 months yeah and immediacy, immediacy bias or i hope that's the right phrase is a massive thing so if you look at if you look at a player right now who is performing incredibly you very rarely go this is his ceiling you go, well, he'll only improve for me. And you put footballing that's aside, you see that in real football in football manager. You know, we absolutely get players wrong. Of course we do. Hopefully we get more right than we get wrong. And we also in a nice position of being able to adjust those over time and, you know, tweak it as we go. But if I see a 17 year old, if, if Noah Kennan, for example, comes on and plays for Leeds later to the games, Fulham, which he won't, but if he does and he scores a hat trick, do I think that's the best performance he'll ever put in. Or do I think, oh my goodness, he's young and he's done that. Imagine what he'll do when he's 25. That doesn't necessarily make, that just is, that's too optimistic. That doesn't make sense. And history doesn't back that up. For some players, of course, that is true. There are some players, you know, if you're taking the player who has 
the best underlying stats under 23 in the world, well, that's a pretty decent bet that even if he doesn't improve, he's probably going to have the 20th best stats in the world when he's 30, which is still decent, right? Um, but I think people can be far too optimistic on those types of players. And I think a good way of looking at it, as much as you know, naming a list of players, a really, really nice exercise is, I put, I put the thing in here in the notes, Google what people thought the world, the England World Cup team would be in 2018, the World Cup 2018, I should say, in 2014. So only four years before it, which in theory should be quite predictable. You just add four years to the age of all the players and look at who's over the hill and who's going to become good. And this was by football writers. It doesn't matter, you know, maybe you think their opinions are rubbish and then fair enough. I'm looking at, at all the names here and two to three players across all the 11s are basically now in and around the England squad. And those players also probably aren't worth the most. So no. one of those is, is Henderson, but how much is he worth on Football Index? Sterling's there, which is a very good shout, and he's worth a decent amount now, and when he was younger probably would have been even more. Sturridge, I think, is in every single lineup, and obviously we know what happened with him. Uh, Wilshire, Patrick Roberts. I mean, Wilshire at 17. even. Yeah, exactly. Wilshire at 17 put in a performance against Barcelona, which I'm pretty sure everyone listening can remember. I'm sure you yes. you remember as an Arsenal fan. At that po- moment right then, what would people have paid for that player? Mm. A lot. And now look at what he's worth. And not for a second am I saying that means therefore, this is one of those good examples of what we were talking about earlier. Don't take what I'm saying and trade based on the conclusions. Disagree with me, agree with me, whatever, and apply your own logic to it. So someone now who does that against Barcelona could be the best player we've ever seen but they also might not be and i think it's worth i think it's worth not trading outcomes but trading what builds those outcomes and what leads to them who would you think starts in euro 2024 for england <laughs> oh no you're not gonna do uh, it oh off the top of my head i need a list i think i think that would be unfair given what we just discussed well, i mean um, yeah i guess so <laughs> oh it's tough it's tough isn't it it's so you know hard what? to say. You know, you know, you know what? Because I because I want to do that question justice. Let me let me send you a list after this. Yes, tweet it. Just tweet it. Yeah, I'll do that. Tweet it, and we'll see how much. Um, we can see how wrong. How is. wrong? How how wrong? How much <laughs> shit comes your way as well? A list of players not to buy. <laughs> uh, Fi mustard here as well says, when do you expect the footy to get up to an all time high? Which is kind of on the back of old man's question. Uh, obviously, the footy's changed now to the footy hundred. Um, but like in terms of where we were in terms of prices, do you see us getting there sooner rather than later? Or are you a bit more cautious? Yeah, I guess like you say, maybe the footy, footy 100 isn't the most reliable metric. Footy 100 should be better. But even then, I guess if you don't hold any of those players in that 100, is it actually useful information for you? It's it's relevant, but it maybe isn't an indication of how you're doing personally. So like you say, maybe the better question is those, is those prices. I think looking forwards a lot is going to depend on covid i think all covid is you know my position obviously you know i've put my money where my mouth is my position is that covid will delay things it won't prevent things so fundamentally if everyone left football index and for whatever reason they were able to survive financially an equal number of players would probably return eventually as long as the dividends remain the same because that opportunity is great and if we've learned anything money will go where those opportunities were and we'll try and take advantage of it. So I think looking forward, I'd probably say 
we'll know by Christmas what COVID is going to do both to the world and to football index. Because obviously, as we head into the winter, there might be, well, we know there's a second wave, but we'll know the severity of that. Traditionally, with the marketing as well, um, Christmas, just before, just after, have been volatile times, both positively and negatively on football index. We've seen massive boosts in January because of marketing activity. And also, uh, I think before my time, I think we saw quite a big January dip once, didn't we? Possibly because of PB sell-offs or something. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think it was um, summer 2017 or later than that, maybe like October 2017. We had um, basically, we thought PB was only going to be winnable by the top 200. And then we found out it was going to be winnable by the whole squad. So prayers had like flown up due to, you know, another dividend coming in, in PB. Uh, everyone thinking only the top 200 quid. And then uh, the bomb was dropped and people were losing 5% a day, you know, off like in the old system as well. So that was literally 5% money coming out um, via instant sell every single day. Um, that's that's a really good example of like that question earlier about, you know, buying dips and reacting to the market. Because I guess while while the top 200 in theory there have lost value, depending on how the top 200 were priced in the first place, which I'm guessing is off media or, or at least PB, a bit of media and a bit of media, they are the best players. So even if the squad can win PB, the top 200 probably should still win the majority of it. And if people were over-pessimistic, I'd be buying the hell out of that top 200. Yeah, and I, I guess, you know, I think Don put out a really good tweet now that in January 2018, because it took like a little bit of a lag, obviously we always have quite quite quiet Christmases now um, in, in all markets, but FI as well. In January 2018, that's the last time we've had price to dividend ratios as they are now. So everyone who bought in heavily at that point, which I think Don was one of them and a, and a few other people were did double down at that point, um, they've all made massive amounts from now. And I'm, now I'm not saying... If you put in money to Football Index now, you are guaranteed great returns. I'm just saying that the price to dividend uh, ratios are the best that they've been since January 2018, regardless of prices being higher now. Absolutely. That's just a really good, useful piece of information, right? So COVID wasn't around then, it is now. So that's something else to factor in. But what, what, what do you take away from that? You go, well, people were very willing to play these prices to earn the money. And people were willing to pay a lot more than these prices. It was worth it was worth a lot more to people. So is it worth a lot more to people now? Yes, it probably is. So I can act on that information as long as again I, you know, make sure I'm gambling responsibly and taking into account the other things that have changed in that time. I think to probably go back to the original question and answer it, we have what a solid twelve months of football in the calendar. All else being equal, football index pays out based on football. So if you have 12 months of it and you position yourself correctly, you're in a very good place to take returns and also see prices rise. And people will be attracted to a to a platform that is giving them a good return on their money. Yeah, and if I look at January 2018 compared to now, uh, there is COVID, obviously very negative. Um, but it seems that though, even if we did go into a national lockdown here in the UK or in Europe, that football would probably still be played. You know, um, it looks like very little is stopping that including like positive cases in actual squads which i thought would be a bigger issue than what we're currently seeing if we look at the next two years uh compared to january 2018 um in 2018 we just come off the back of a, a world cup in the summer and our next international tournament was supposedly 2020 euros right is that right that is right uh yeah yes i'm so. right in saying that 
So I'm sure we'll be told. <laughs> I hope I'm right. Um, <laughs> but now we're in a situation that between now and June, we have a full season of football and then the Euros and then another full season of football and then, you know, the World Cup. So that's never happened before. And that actually means that, um, you know, what we're seeing from a football standpoint has never been seen before. And maybe FI's kind of prices and, and market activity will correlate with this much football being on in the next two years. So I see the synergies with the dividend to price uh, ratios being the same as 2018 January to now. But in actual fact, you know, we're actual, it, from a purely footballing perspective in a better position and a calendar perspective in a better position than we were back then, which is another positive to take if you consider the negative of, of COVID as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you could take, we've seen, we've seen the knock of COVID. We've seen the knock of Black Sunday. Yeah, another, by, and I, by all means, it's not over. And yet we're still standing. Yeah, and what I'd say as well, another another COVID knock would not be new information, would it? Right? Oh, exa- exactly. It, it wouldn't think... be the shock that we saw the first when we were like, shit, I literally can't leave my house unless I'm going to get milk. Right? Like, Ex- exactly. It would so just be like, well, prices dipped, here we are. Yeah, completely. Even if prices dipped, I think they probably wouldn't, all else being equal, they probably wouldn't dip as far because we've experienced this before. We know that it isn't the end of the world. Mm. Uh, we've got a question here from uh, Fi Dennis, which is slightly change of change of uh, tone and, and and a bit of uh, an adjacent conversation here. How do you feel about negative media being removed? Are they taking it too far? Some historic events that would have been seen no media payouts, i.e., Beckham red card against Argentina. Zidane's 2006 World Cup final headbutt, Hand of God, which is referenced 36 years later, may not have been paid out. How are you feeling about this, Seb? And first foremost, before you answer this, I think, before we see this in action, I think it's very hard for us as contributors on this podcast to answer it definitively, because, like, I don't actually know if Harry Kane twisting his ankle is going to get no good media. Like, he's not going to get any media points. What I do know, based on the information that we have, is Declan uh, Declan Rice, Dominic Calvert-Lewin's calling hat-trick this this afternoon, is more likely to get in media than it was beforehand. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, like you say, we don't have perfect knowledge here, so we maybe have to take a little leap. As, As I mentioned earlier, I tend to... When I say I don't trade media, obviously I take it into consideration, but I see it as less predictable than at least the way I work out PB you know, based on the stats and the value available there. I see it as less predictable. We saw a good example recently of this will be Jaden San- Sancho's summer on media, and it very much was until there was a Messi story. And then it was all Messi. And I don't think anyone predicted that. And therefore, you know, sensible people, of course, will have built variants into their models. But optimistic people might have gone, well, that's an entire week or two weeks of media I was expecting Sancho <laughs> to get that he hasn't returned. Yeah. So I think by by its very nature, media is a fickle mistress. This hopefully makes it slightly less fickle because I almost I almost don't mind what the rules are as long as I can use them, interpret them and trade based on those rules. Yes, and they, it's, the line and they in the, it's the line in the sand thing that we were discussing earlier. Yeah, exactly. But I think... The question about, you know, how far does negative go? When I was reading the announcements on this, I think there was a few things that jumped out. Immediately, I want it to be football related. So even if you had to draw a line in the sand, even Rashford's wonderful, wonderful work um, over this last period, 
if that wasn't included, I wouldn't hate it if we drew that line that said it is literally only about kicking a football. If it's about more than it, then absolutely fair enough, and I'm happy to trade on that. I have that information. I think negative is a bit tough because if you define negative as a negative on a pitch, fair enough, that's a football story as long as there aren't any legal issues, which is, you know, I understand legal can be messy and that's kind of out their hands, right? You know, they don't want to get sued and they don't want any of us to fall into into bad positions. So fair enough, that needs to be a reactionary sometimes. But yeah, let's trade negative things on the pitch. Absolutely fine. But then there's a real grey area because even with this neural net they're talking about, which is a lot more complicated than I suspect people appreciate. I hope it's not more complicated than they appreciate. But machine learning is ridiculous. We do a bit of work and yeah, there's a reason it takes a very long time and a lot of investment to get right. Even something like the headlines and the first paragraphs and all that, you can train it as much as you want. And then a headline will come along like Sancho devastates Chelsea's defence. We understand that to be a good thing. But the word devastate is negative. Therefore, it's removed or it scores negatively. Okay, you teach the neural net that devastate is actually a good thing in terms of football performance because they've destroyed the defence. Good times. Well, what about then when Sancho has a devastating miss? Is that negative? It's so subjective that I'm concerned that while we're based on a effectively a binary positive or negative system, it can't ever be proper. It, the nuance is incredible, isn't it? In this in this situation, yeah. and I think that is um, that is what we need to understand that the media scoring system that comes out is going to be better than what we had i believe but it might not be perfect and it but what it will give us is a line in the sand is what we hope yeah i think i think the really important thing to take away and by all means you know shout about it on twitter if you don't think it's right but the important thing to take away from it is if they give you a set of rules take those rules learn them and apply them to your training yeah 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 i think that's a good place to end that conversation uh, got a question here from lucas laver having never placed a bet with traditional bookies what attracted you to the platform and convinced you to gamble five figures how do fi attract more people like you with no traditional exchange gambling backgrounds um so yeah i guess i'd never placed a proper bet with a bookie before this because I didn't feel like I had an edge. I didn't see how I was going to win over over anyone else. Of course, a lot of people will place an acre at the weekend for fun. And that's completely valid, right? You know, if you go to the pub and you spend a fiver or nine pound if in London on a pint, you're doing that because you enjoy it. If you place 10 pound on an acre because you enjoy it and that's what you're deriving from it, fair enough, can't argue with it. But if the reason you're doing it is because you believe you're going to turn that 10 pound into whatever, a thousand, 10,000 pound, I would question if you're thinking sensibly. And that's kind of always the approach I'd had. I'd never really found betting enjoyable in of itself. And thus, because I didn't think I could win, someone like someone like Panda and other people you've had on here, professional gamblers, absolutely have had that edge and they've proved it. So fair enough, they should take part. But I probably would have been one of the people they were taking money from. So I'd rather not get involved in that game. FI was probably the first thing where I thought, and for the record, I started incredibly slowly. I would describe myself as very risk averse, even though the way I act on FI now is probably steering into risk, but that's because I understand it. I understand myself, I think. Absolutely want to keep learning more on both those subjects, but I think I know what I'm doing within my own strategy and I'm happy, therefore, to, to take those risks. But I've been on just over two years and in the first year, I had a very small amount of money in, which I did very little with. Kind of just spent my time learning. Also just left it alone for ages. I think there was a period between... 
if I joined in 2018, probably between Christmas that year and even close towards the end of the season, I almost did nothing. I would check in every now and again and just see how it was going. Partly through, I wouldn't say lack of interest, but partly through maybe lack of investment in terms of because I had a small amount of money, it maybe wasn't worth all my attention. Um, and also because I was just seeing how it was going, seeing how things responded over time so that when, if I did have you know money available, and I, you know, I didn't have five figures available to put into it, so I didn't. If I ever was in that position, I could act based on the things I'd learned. So when the opportunity did come along, and I think we've mentioned I, uh, of my current portfolio, 50% of it was deposited on that Thursday back in March, I think it was, because I had that money comfortably available, safely available. I'd taken two years of learnings and saw opportunities, and that isn't an opportunity I'd ever seen anywhere else. So for me, it was, you know, we mentioned the sofa earlier. It was, okay, you know, if, if this all goes horribly wrong, I still have the base level that I'm happy with. Nothing is lost. If it goes right, well, that's a nice position to be in. Maybe I get to go on a holiday that I never got to, you know, I never would have considered going on in the first place. Therefore, it's all a bonus. And obviously, of course, because I was fortunate enough to put some money in at a time that then saw an upswing, a lot of that money now is paper profit. Of course, until you until you withdraw, it's not a real thing. But if I withdrew my entire net deposits now, I would still have money to play with. So it's a it's a nicer position to be in that allows me maybe to take some slightly riskier approaches than someone who was depositing today would be able to take. And following on from that, we've got an interesting question that I think um, ties into that a little bit. Uh, Chris Thomas said it's it's clear from Sunday that a lot of users have, had overcommitted to the product. I think we've we've discussed that a little bit. How do I attract and retain football manager players whilst ensuring that they are fully aware that this is a gambling product and they they can lose money on their bets? I think I'd be I'd be really interested in hearing your opinion on that because I guess from my point of view when we were talking about the UX side of it and the design side earlier treating it almost and I mean purely from the design point of view treating it like a game and thinking you know if we look at some of those popular games in the market hopefully one of which is ours what is it that makes it popular not just the content but why is it successful in terms of attracting someone's attention and keeping it I think that's a really big part of it but then obviously attracting someone who is either playing for fun or sure is playing for monetary gain, but doing it responsibly. I think you might even be more experienced than me to answer that question. I think, you know, from a football manager standpoint, um, I go back to that uh, example I gave of my uh, French colleague or former French colleague, where I think you have to have a, a good depth of players available on the platform, um, whereby football manager you know, uh, players could come on and see, oh, this is a guy that I bought on one of my careers, I'll buy him. But if there isn't that depth of player, then I think that for me, I've always segmented the the areas that I think FI would definitely be able to tack is, you know, traditional gamblers, professional gamblers as, as one or two subsections of, of gambling, right? Uh, professional gamblers being the big money, punters being like the smaller money, but that might be getting in, involved in the IPD side of things or, or, or you know, just with smaller money. Then you've got kind of uh, fancy football, because I think that's just such a big market, not necessarily in, in terms of money, but in terms of kind of marketing, advertising, um, and kind of like being able to acquire user, acquire user from that part of thing. And then you've got, I think, kind of, 
retail investors and 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 traders in the city uh that again two subsections of more of that kind of like i guess sophisticated money is what you want to call it um retail traders people that are buying stocks and shares on free trade and blah 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 wherever all these other uh trading two on two and those apps and then you've got city traders who you know uh maybe trade currencies in the city or work in financial services or um, just have like a a large array of investments that are more traditional uh, in the financial world, but maybe also um, span into the kind of alternative side of things in in crypto. And uh, maybe they uh, are already, you know, buying and selling CFDs and and stuff like that, shorting markets and and buying up options contracts and, and futures contracts. I think those are the three main categories for me. And as I've just detailed over the last two minutes, they are very broad in each of those subsections. I don't think Football Manager is a section of user that if I really want to attack, of course, they've advertised on the product before and that does definitely make sense. But people on Football Manager would love FI in general, right? But I do think it is a smaller, like it's a sub-subsection of maybe like fancy football in that area where a lot of people play it. But I don't think when FI are kind of doing customer segmentation, they look at the football manager world as like a main, main pool of users that they could attract, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think I think football manager probably has overlap with the other categories as well. So you wouldn't necessarily need to isolate it as its own. I think we'd like to think of ourselves as you know, the thinking person's football game. If you compare it to FIFA, there's certainly, of course, there's overlap in our markets. The main one being um, football. But you get different things out of it. You know, if you want to play something for 20 minutes, you might choose FIFA. If you want a deeper experience, you choose us, I think. I think the thing you can take away from it is, and of course, we have different levels of user ourselves. You know, my part of my job, um, and again, working very much with a lot of other people on this and something that comes from the top from Miles, is the idea that when we deliver a feature, we need to know who we're delivering that feature for. It doesn't have to be one set of our user base. If it's two, three, that's fine, but it needs to work for all of them. So we need to define, a bit like we spoke about earlier, I need to be able to define what this feature is, how it works, and why the people I'm trying to deliver it for should even care. Why should they give us their hard-earned money in exchange for this product? And I think maybe having been on Football Index a little while, maybe naturally they've evolved and they've changed who they're targeting and how they're targeting them through you know changing the product when you know you've been on it much longer than me before uh before i joined one time it was just media so anyone who cared about football performance on the pitch of course media is a big part of that but it maybe didn't give the edge to the people who were good at stats whereas now those people have more of an edge and it might keep evolving i think the important thing from their point of view though is to know to eventually stop to eventually know where their end goal is and where their they're tweaking instead of you know adding new things evolution rather than revolution all that and as part of that you need these defined defined groups you're targeting and i wonder if can they actually target more than one at a time so eventually and probably not for quite a while but eventually i don't see how how football index comes anything other than a zero-sum game yeah yeah no of course at, at that point can you target more than one group of people successfully? You could target loads with advertising, but can they all be convinced that they can profit from this? I honestly don't know the answer to that. It's an interesting thing to to investigate and learn as we go. But I think at the moment, for sure, there are opportunities for different people. And maybe that's why we have the different dividend structures. You know, So my, my IPD is probably the closest to 
how betting works in on many other products uh fantasy football maybe a bit of ipd team of the month maybe is a decent one for that because while while you've chosen matty james today because you think he'll play great for everton <laughs> um hammers that is um but you know while you've chosen him today it's because you think he'll do well over two or three weeks not necessarily one week and then pb is kind of media is one of the usps i'd say pb is kind of it's the one i really really like because it has so much to it it the pb scores themselves are kind of irrelevant as a one-off but over time they really build to mean something and you can see patterns and you can trade based on it but then again as we discussed earlier they're very outcome based the way i think to get an edge on that is to understand the stats and of course there are some very smart people who are doing that and putting the thing out there you've got people who have you know their own scoring system which they put out on twitter I think the thing to take from that is not their end result, but their process. Yes. Um, and that's the what that's the, and, you know, like I say, I trade mostly for PB. That's the one that really interests me. But then I think you could easily attract someone who trades purely for IPD, or maybe at a stretch team of the month, or maybe media. It's how you attract those people, how you then give them the tools to to benefit from the edge that they've developed. Yeah, and and, and those tools come with added functionality and an added data that that FI uh, will no doubt kind of implement into the platform. But until they have all the bells and whistles, then it's hard to keep everyone who joins on the platform because as with any product, people will join and maybe not like it. So that is is the reality of things. I think, I mean, you know, the other other side of this is people who, again, we discussed earlier, I think value is important no matter how you're trading. You need to know what a player is worth to make rational decisions. But contrary trading, uh, contrary trading, trading the spreads is very valid. It, you, know, you can try and be a bit of a market maker yourself in a in a smaller sense. And I think on the conversation of you know trying to learn where you can, no matter how seemingly irrelevant, something I think a lot of football index traders might scoff at is FIFA Ultimate Team. Uh, FIFA Ultimate Team I think is a good example of where we can take some learnings. And I think a lot of people might turn their nose up at that and more fool them, right? You know, you learn where you can. While, of course, it's not the same as Football Index in any way, shape or form, it's a game. It's for fun. Even if you spend money on the game, you spend money on packs. It's for fun. But the thing you can learn is how people react to certain conditions in the market. And the rules in Ultimate Team are very, very different. Players basically appreciate in the first few weeks or months and then depreciate over time as better players become available. And that's the biggest trend you see. So if you put, you know, if you put your pretend coins into a player at the beginning of the game, they'll be worth less at the end. But over that time, there's loads and loads of peaks and troughs, and it base, it's based on both what what the players are doing for people, you know, what content creators put out there, who they think are good players, based on new cards that come into the into the game, whether they replace old cards, and based purely on the cycles that are in the market. So people talk about a Sunday sell-off in Football Index. The exact same thing exists in FIFA Ultimate Team, where after the weekend's competition, people want to sell their players because they want to get their coins back to buy new players for next weekend. If you understand that pattern, see that pattern and can anticipate it, you can make coins from it. While, of course, free format team doesn't necessarily reflect it football index in any way, that theory and that understanding of how people react, I think, is really transferable. So Sunday sell-offs in FI. If a player that's being sold, if their undervalued, underlying value hasn't changed, why would you not maybe look to take advantage of that if you have a future sell point in mind, which you believe is higher? Yeah, it's, it's so well put. So well put. Uh, we've got a last question here from FI Zach. Uh, will we ever, and just, just lastly, actually, on the ultimate team thing before I, because I'm just reminded to myself of something that I wanted to say. In a market like that where there are so many users, 
when you list a player at really low price, they go like that. Whereas- oh, there's actually a whole method is fastest fingers first. Like people people load the web app on FIFA on my team, minimize the window, use a touch screen and learn where the buttons are on the screen through muscle memory so that they can just continuously search for a price that is basically a mistake and grab that card. And like you say, the market is so very thick on a on ultimate team that you have to go to that length to pick up what is effectively a mistakenly listed price exactly and and that's what should have happened on fi in this formal yeah. order book thing where you saw you know sancho listed at eight pounds or uh bape all these players listed really low yeah. people should have been snapping them up but um i mean on the on the on the stock market i'm guessing and you probably know this more about this than me um we didn't touch on it earlier but i studied economics but left halfway through to pursue acting maybe that's a story for another day <laughs> I don't think we've got um, another two hours, 40 minutes in it. <laughs> um, but yeah, so um, obviously I know a little bit about it, but not as much as people you'll talk to regularly. But I think something that will happen on real stock markets very often is if something is underpriced, that doesn't go to a real person. That goes to the market makers. That goes to the mechanics that have been set up to snap those things up. In theory, I should not be quick enough to get those bargains it should be the market makers who for whatever reasons and completely legitimate reasons will have tools that we don't have as a as a user to make that market it should be them that are getting those bargains not us yeah because that's one of the i guess the stipulations they'd have in a in a, in a contract right they would want to be able to scoop up those very cheap players if someone wants out um at certain prices um we'll move on to this last question there though uh FI Zatch, will we ever see players' FI stats, graphs, and mid-game price fluctuations used and discussed on Sky and BT Sports coverage for football? Correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm guessing the short answer is no, because I don't think they'd be allowed to have that on a four o'clock kickoff on a Sunday or something. I'm not totally sure on those, but I'm presuming... You know, uh, we see gambling adverts in between games, and we see gambling uh, advertised on the on the boardings outside the the pitch. So, true. But would you be able to discuss, say, Sancho, for example? No. So I wonder if that's one of those grey areas that they're just better staying out of. If if we could, I think it'd be interesting. I know fantasy sports, particularly in the US, are very heavily integrated into the live experience, and I think that's awesome from a from a purely FPL sense. It would be amazing to see to see those things come up on screen and be able to do, you know, have the experts as knowledgeable in that as they are in football. One thing, of course, if it were possible, ignore all you know, legal restrictions, whatever, and, mor- and moral restrictions, if it were possible, would it actually be a good idea, though? Because does Jamie Carragher know more about Leeds than I do? And not only does he know more about them, but does he know more about them in an FI context? So he might be praising Jordan Henderson to the absolute hilt. Does that make him a good buy? If people are taking a pundit's recommendation in the moment they could maybe be making a bad bet based on the criteria we laid out earlier you know real football is not football index yeah exactly i I think that's that's a good point i mean be interesting i'd be more interested in seeing something like um you know the the fpl uh, official show um like if that was something that fi or fi in collaboration with someone did that would be interesting but in terms of ingraining into, you know, Sky Sports, but I think that the more the more tick in the box from a mainstream standpoint is if, like, one day you're in the pub and you look over to another table and someone's showing their mate their FI portfolio. 
I think that's the more realistic um, kind of thing where we think about this as a mainstream product when you have stuff like that happening rather than Jamie Carragher talking about how much Bruno Fernandes has gone off uh, up or down because of that goal. And I also think it kind of, it, it does saturate probably the experience for all other non-FI users at that point, right? Because like Jamie, Jamie Carragher and Gary Neville are football experts, right? You want to hear them talk about football um, and what is being impacted, uh, what players are doing to impact their teams on the pitch, right? And you want to see their analysis there. I don't really, if I wasn't an FI trader, I don't really care about, um, and if I wasn't into FPL, I wouldn't care about Jamie Carragher saying Declan Rice has got a big haul of points here on FPL. Um, I understand in, in America, the money is much bigger and you also have stuff like uh, DraftKings and paid fancy versions, which I think has a lot more to do with how integrated it is in society there where you have actual, actual radio programs based on fancy out there. I just think that, again, it's a nuance, but, you know, from my perspective, I'd rather see blokes in the pub or people in the pub showing their portfolios to one another than Jamie Carragher talking about it on TV. I don't know. Yeah, I think I think that's fair. I think the dream is it becomes part of the informal football conversation yes. that we consume weekly. I mean, fantasy football, I've been doing that for probably about a decade, maybe a bit more. At one point, I literally remember having a conversation with my dad when I was younger where he said, oh, people only care about assists because of fantasy football. I disagreed with him at the time, but whether he was right or not doesn't matter. The point is that he was only interested in assists because he played fantasy football. He had never cared before that. So whether they talk about it on Sky or not, I don't really care. But if suddenly the guy in the pub goes, not only did Patrick Bamford scoring that goal just earn me four points in FPL, but it also earned me 2p in IPD and he's on for a performance win. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah, 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 I think that's the that's the aspect, right? When you meet up with a with a friend, or you meet a mutual friend who you've never met before, and you're watching a game, and someone scores, like the initial reaction is, "Ah, oh, great, he's in my fantasy team." If you're like a neutral or whatever, um, and maybe now it's like, "Oh, I've actually got him on football index," and they'd be like, "Oh, well, what?" Um, and that and, and that builds another side of it as well. We were talking earlier about how eventually it becomes a zero sum game, but one way maybe to get around that a little bit from a consumer basis point of view is if I'm not in it just for trying to make profit, if I'm in it to enrich my experience of interacting with football, then if all my mates are into it and we all just put a tenner in and, you know, we're trying to, it's another way of supporting my players and enjoying it at the weekend. And I effectively treat that tenner as if I've spent it on a pint. It's gone, whatever. Now I'm deriving enjoyment. I think you need more people around to do that with. You need people to share it with, right? You know, we, we enjoy social experiences with people. I think we would enjoy social football index experiences. Well, I think that's all we've got time for, mate. Uh, I mean, I I don't think either of us expected this to be this long. <laughs> but I guess when you get I into look- an hour and you're like, shit, I haven't asked any questions. I looked over at the clock and I was like, fucked it. I look forward to uh, it all being cut. <laughs> Thanks so much for coming on. Where can people find out more about you uh, on Twitter, etc.? Um, so I'm on Twitter at Seb Wassell, which is S E B W A S E L L. But again, that's that's just for me. Um, I'll talk about the game I work on, Football Manager. I'll talk about fantasy football quite a bit. I'll probably talk about football index a little bit, but I try and avoid talking about specific players because I just don't want to be that guy that pumps or depumps someone. Um, but yeah, 
if you want to chat that's where i am all the patreon give fig all your money and uh get, get on the patreon <laughs> patreon.com forward slash fi uh thank you very much everyone for listening if you guys are commuting and stay safe on your commute take care of each other uh if you're not commuting doing whatever you're doing working from home what, uh, listening to this it's probably going to fill up like half your working day so fair play uh sorry if you didn't get to answer all your <laughs> questions uh <laughs> it's hard to get through them all and we actually only gave you like a few hours to ask them anyway um so thanks for all the effort and bringing them in uh as soon as possible football index is a gambling platform only bet what you can afford to lose and stop when the fun stops once again thank you everyone for listening have a great day